Hey guys and girls, do you like science? Well, I do. And on this episode of the spinoff show, I've got my good friend, Mr. Adam Morris up from Canada joining the show, the resident jock and nerd science expert, but he's much more than that. He's actually working for the Canadian government doing environmental science and marine toxicology for a fucking living. If those two things are synonymous, I don't fucking know. But he's on our show, or he's on my show, talking about polar bears, Inuit people, how climate change is affecting the Arctic, how contaminants are affecting the uh, populations up in the Arctic, the carnivores and the people up in the Arctic. Um, We dive into climate change stuff in general, and if it's real, we jump into the little bit of flat earth stuff. We jump into the debates that are held between scientists and politicians. We nerd out a little bit at the end. We even get into a near-death story of Adam Morris's trials and tribulations up in the Arctic. So I think this is a really interesting, science-y, nerdy show. I love science. Hopefully you do too. Let's check out this episode. This is... The Jock Spin-Off Show. Well, Adam, we're recording now, so I think we should just start doing this, huh, man? Sounds good. I've been uh, wanting to have you on for a long time now. And by a long time, I mean since I started recording this spinoff show, so that would probably be four or five weeks, so not that long, but how you been, man? Very good, very good. I, uh, I've been looking to get back on the Jock and Nerd show as per usual as well, so this worked out nicely. Nice. Something a little different. It is a little different. Uh, now, the listeners will have already heard an intro, but I'm just going to restate the fact that, Adam, you've been on uh, our show a few times now. You were on episode 155. That was your debut on the Jock and Nerd podcast. We did Science of Superheroes. It was a lot of fun. Then we did Jock and Nerd 215, Science of Aquaman. And then we did Jock and Nerd 232, What the Fuck Happened, Masters of the Universe, with you and Matt Delhauer. That was, that was a lot of fun. We've, al- we've also had you on Jock Talk. But in your own words... Who are you? I know uh, you're a scientist, you're a doctor, you have a PhD. How the hell would you describe yourself? Yeah, that's fair enough. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a wildlife toxicologist. I work, uh, I work primarily uh, with big um, predators and other animals in the Arctic of Canada. And we look at how the toxicology of those animals works. So really how contaminants are getting into the Arctic how they're building up through the animals, whether or not they're getting to a concentration in those animals. It's like a concern, uh, particularly because most of what we study are still traditional food sources for the Inuit people that hunt them um, regularly. So their, their lifestyle is a lot different than ours. Um, so we try, to, we try to frame a lot of our work in ways that benefits their communities and their lifestyles as well. Um, so it's not just you know us measuring things for the sake of measuring them. We're looking for effects in the animals that might translate to effects to humans, um, and most recently I'm also looking at more, uh, holistic kind of science in, in polar bears and seals, uh, which are their main food source. We're looking at how 
the whole mixture of stuff that we find in the environment um, in terms of the contaminants, but also in terms of, say, changes in ice conditions, um, changes in temperatures, changes in um, the food sources, how all these things are affecting the animal's health. <laughs> um, and then kind of tagged along with that, we're also looking at how specific climate change effects, um, like, again, temperatures um, and things like that, will affect the contaminant trends by themselves. So we're looking at, again, diet effects, climate effects, um, and, again, trying to get a holistic picture of what is happening to some of the animals in the Arctic, uh, particularly the lower latitude ones. Um, so right now I'm focused around the Hudson Bay, which is a big, uh, most people will know what it is. <laughs> it's a massive oceanic kind of uh, system, um, but it's unique in the Arctic because it's, it's quite low in latitude. Um, when you get to the bottom of the Hudson Bay area, some of that is actually in Ontario, um, which most people don't think about you know, polar bears being in Ontario, but we have quite a... a Are there really? There's polar bears in Ontario? Yeah, the southern Hudson Bay, the H southern Hudson Bay polar bear population is in uh, northern Ontario. Holy shit. Technically, they overlap into Nunavut, um, so the Nunavut um, government also takes a, an active part in, in managing them, um, but they also are part of Ontario. Um, so yeah, so we have you know a lot of a lot of land in Canada, and we cover a lot of spaces, and we have pretty much the entire Arctic region. So holy there's fuck! A lot, so there's a lot of work. Uh, well, well <laughs> it's a lot of um, fucking travel. A lot of a lot of a lot of work has to be done in Canada, otherwise it doesn't get done. Um, you know, Russia. I'm gonna correct myself. Sorry. The we have most of the Ar the Arctic area in North America. Russia has the other biggest chunk of it, obviously, but they sure. don't, they don't also have a lot of money to do environmental research. Um, and that's not really their priority. Um, so a lot of the work we do here is translated across the globe. As, why is, why is Canada made that a priority? Um, again, I think it's just our, our approach to the way that we, um, look at global, um, agreements and things like that. We always take a big role. Um, and because the Arctic is, is mostly ours. Um, it's yours, right. Um, we, again, we really, it's, it's, it's part of the, the sovereignty arguments as well. Um, like obviously by doing a lot of work in the North, we also show our presence there. Um, so back in the forties and fifties, there was a lot of push from the, from the Americans in Alaska, uh, from the Russians in the North because of the cold war and everything. Um, and because, uh, and other stress factors. So we really knew I want to establish ourselves as, as the Arctic nation that's doing something up there. Hmm. Um, that's carried forward till to today um but again, you do now, this for a living yeah so now yeah so who, this is who, my how, how do you how does one do this for a living <laughs> it's a good so question are you, like who, so, who employs you so right now yeah i work for the government of canada um i am a postdoctoral fellow um which is a way of saying that i'm kind of a a late stage intern <laughs> um is the last okay. kind of way to do it so i'm qualified to be a research scientist i'm qualified to do the science that i do but i don't have my own lab I don't have my own space yet to work out of. Um, so I still work with mentors who have that lab space, who have a little bit more expertise than me and more experience working in the field. Mm -hmm. um, so they're still teaching me things, but it's usually in a different manner. So now they're teaching me how to get funding. They're teaching me how to manage a lab, how to manage students, because you have to train PhD students and master's students and the people that are going to be the next generation of scientists. Um, so a lot of my training now is not necessarily just about learning you know, how these contaminants behave in bears. It's about how to manage a lab and how to, how to be a more effective scientist too. So, wow. Um, so yeah, so a lot of the, a lot of the work is done through the government in Canada. Um, and that's why we are able to do a lot of the things we do because we prioritized it. 
um, funding for a lot of Alaskan research, for example. Uh, there is some money from, uh, from the U.S. government, but a lot of it comes from different sources. So the academics at universities there get the money themselves. Mm-hmm. And then they team with us often, and we do research over in Alaska. And the same thing kind of happens in Russia because sometimes we can get money to do research over there to compare with ours, even though it's not our country. So, again, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, I guess a lot of disproportionate work that goes on, but it's okay because we're really trying to, again, cover off the Arctic as much as we can and, and, and you know do as much work as we can, not just for interest, but, again, for the people that live up there too. Mm-hmm. Where and you had I mentioned to start the show that I'd been trying to get you on and you were told me off the air that you'd switched jobs. So are you working for a new employer or you'll have a new assignment or what's yeah. that looking like? Yeah, so right now again I'm a frontline kind of researcher. Again, we we get like polar bear fat, liver, muscle samples, we process them in the lab. I measure a lot of contaminants in them. I measure also measure things that tell me about what that polar bear's been eating. Um I can I can track back um the age and again the diet of the animal and then relate that to contaminant kind of concentrations on a day-to-day basis Mm -hmm. um so again i write papers um i I, again i participate to what we call the primary literature so that's like again you're you're writing scientific journal articles that are going out there with the first reports of data Mm -hmm. so we find a new contaminant in a polar bear we get to write about it and it becomes a journal article Uh, the new job is more of a will be more of an overseeing kind of position where i'm still heavily involved in a lot of the research in the Arctic, but um, it's not even really a management job. It'd still be an environmental science job, but it's, it would mean that I'm working with all of the different researchers, studying everything from fish uh, and plankton all the way up to polar bears across the entire Canadian Arctic and helping them coordinate their work uh, with the communities they work in and then making sure that that data is uh, put into the databases where we can use it for bigger kind of uh, approaches to the problems. So knowing, for example, like the one contaminant is building up in one small food chain around the Hudson Bay in polar bears is interesting. But we also want to know what the bigger picture of all the polar bears in Canada is. Um, Mm -hmm. So this new job will kind of give me an opportunity to explore those bigger picture questions. Um, But I will no longer be kind of the frontline scientist, uh, again, like processing that liver sample or that fat sample in the lab. so, yeah, it's a, it's a really cool opportunity, and it just so happens that, again, certain positions have opened up at the right time. Um, it's more of a job that I thought of myself getting 10 years down the road, to be perfectly honest. Um, Lucky you, huh? But, yeah, no, it's an, it's an, again, it's an amazing opportunity, and it, and it allows me to keep working with all the people that I, I want to work with and affecting the communities and the animals and the things that, that matter most to me. So, um, so yeah, I'm really hopeful that, it's, that it works out. It's not locked in place yet, so knock on wood. Uh, but we'll see. Regardless, there's lots of research to be done, but um, yeah, I, should, I could be switching over in the summertime. That's dope. Dude, polar bears are fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they are, yeah. They're, they're one of those animals that when people, and I've said this in many, many a talk before, when people see a picture of a polar bear, it doesn't matter if they're two, <laughs> they're 10, they're 16, they're 40, or they're 90. Most people's faces light up. You know, it's a, they're one of those animals, we call them charismatic megafauna. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Um, they're just one of those animals that captures the public attention. So, just because all those Pepsi commercials, or was it Coke? Coke? It, was, it was all Coke. Coke, there you go. And they, and again, they spread that false rumor that uh, polar bears and penguins coexist, which a lot of people still actually think. And it's. They don't so, coexist? 
Oh no, they're separated by the entire world. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, penguins only exist in the southern hemisphere. Uh, on is that Ant- right? On Ant- yeah, on oh, I have no fucking clue. See, here's yeah. the thing: like zoos. I mean, they probably say that on the fucking pictures, but I only see penguins in zoos. So I just assumed anywhere cold. That's and that's, and that's the thing. Are. So, so in the Arctic, we do have several species of birds that are black and white patterned. Mm. Um, the thick-billed murres are one of the species, and they're one of the things that I actually study right now. I'm looking at climate change effects in the murres um, and whether or not that affects the contaminant trends over time. Uh, but they're awesome little birds because they, again, they have this black and white pattern, um, and they fly super well, um, but they also dive and swim uh, like a penguin. Um, not quite as effectively as a penguin because they're not, you know, the same evolutionary stage, but they, they dive and swim super well. So, um, it could be confused as a penguin. Yeah. Again, they're, they're just stark black and white. There's no other patterning on them at all. What is it? A myrrh? Thick build myrrh. Yeah. M U R R E. Thick build. Oh, okay. I see it. Oh, um, that's not a fucking penguin. No, but they're again, they're black and white little fish eating birds. So they fill a similar niche, but there's no, um, in the southern hemisphere, in the Antarctic, where the penguins live, there are leopard seals in the water that eat them, um, but there aren't a lot of land predators. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, really, it's just the penguins evolved in the southern hemisphere, the, it's, it's, and the, and and bears never made it to the to that continent before it separated. So you know, there's no oh, bears yeah. and penguins that coexist. Um, but the but the Antarctic penguins do make it all the way up to the southern tip of South America. Oh, really? Okay. Um, and, and the southern tip of Africa. So there are little uh, populations there where at certain times of the year you can find penguins in like a... That's fucking strange, too. It's a long way to go. <laughs> yeah. So fucking polar bears. You, has you, so you've seen these things up close and personal? I've seen two polar bears in, like, in the field in real life. Really? Um, Aren't they fucking... Don't they just want to kill? Aren't they hyper... Not hyper aggressive. I've heard they, they're just monsters. They want to eat. They see anything as prey. Is that right? They're, yeah. I mean, the thing is, they're the biggest thing out there. Um, right. And they're very curious. Um, because the Arctic is devoid of food for them. Like, they, their their food source is the seals. that They have to basically, like, crunch the ice and pull them out of there. Yeah. And, and every time they miss one, it costs them a lot of energy. Like, and if they're, if they're a mother that has cubs, every time you miss a seal, that's one step closer to you dying before you can actually raise your young to you know a reproductive mm, age so that makes more sense there's a lot of cost in terms of what the polar bear's life is um so if there's a food source that's available they'll tend to investigate it you know what i mean it's uh um, yeah, you've seen that video where the dude's in a in a cage or in a like a like a glass cage and the polar bear comes up and he's just trying to fucking rip that thing apart to get to him <laughs> i'm not sure that i've seen that one but i've seen several like things like that but they I, I don't. I don't think that they're inherently again looking for people. Obviously, that's not right. their food source. We 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 don't have just much like sharks that are looking for seals. Bears are looking for things that are rich in fat. Yeah. Uh, and although we're a bit chubby these days, we are not. Uh, <laughs> you know, we don't we don't have like a, a three inch thick layer of blubber on the we're outside. We're not the healthy fat they're looking for. Well, and if you've ever seen there's there's videos online that you can find that were of a polar bear stripping like it'll grab a piece once it once it rips the the flesh a bit, it'll grab uh-huh. a, p- a piece of blubber on a seal and it just strips the entire blubber layer off and leaves the carcass. Um, oh, really? It's not worth their energy to digest the meat and the other parts of the seal because the fat just absorbs right into their system more or less. So, so again, they, if they can get seals, 
there's no issue with polar bears usually. Um, if they're if if they're fat and healthy, um, you're much less likely to get attacked or investigated by them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a, a increase of instances in Canada um, where again we have two thirds of the world's polar bear population, so the Inuit people over here deal with way more bears than anywhere else in the world. Um, and a couple of communities where they're used to dealing with bears, people have been killed in recent years. Um, Just by them investigating? Which is unusual. Um, well, again, usually the Inuit are pretty well aware where the the bears are. They often have guns, especially if they're outside of the town. Um, so it's unusual for them to get surprise attacked by an animal like that. Um, but there's a lot of factors that are at play right now. And part of it, again, <laughs> this is part of my frustration with studying polar bears is that everybody always wants to blame everything on climate change. Um, when you see a sick bear or a skinny bear or whatever that oh, happens yeah. in the news, everybody always automatically says, well, look at climate change. It's killing these animals. Um, there was a National Geographic story. Yeah, I remember that where that fucking skinny ass bear was walking around right. on, on, on like a floating piece of ice. And if and you follow, if you followed that story at all, it was actually it was on land. It was on it was on the uh, on the shores. It was near Hudson Bay. Actually, no, it was near Baffin Bay, which is off of the shore of uh, Baffin Island in the Ar- in the higher Arctic. Um, so where that bear was was filmed is actually one of the places that's not been hugely affected by climate change yet. Like we know, the ice conditions haven't changed massively there yet. Um, and when they followed up on that story, they found that the Inuit in the area were like that happens all the time. Like something happened to that bear and when polar bears can't feed, so they're very dependent on the ice in season. Um, mm-hmm. So when the, when there's still land fast ice, so ice, ice is frozen to the shoreline and they can get out there easily and hunt seals. Um, they're at their fattest and healthiest. Mm-hmm. Uh, once the ice starts to break up, if they haven't fed heavily during that period and they're not really beefed up, um, Often there can be a period from, say, July until November or October when the they, ice they starts can to look like that. Yeah, so they start to get that way. So what if you w- look at that video again, even the pictures of that bear, and this is the first thing that I noticed when I saw it, is that it's dragging its one back leg. Mm-hmm. Um, so it looks like it broke its leg at some point, um, probably before. Oh, yeah, I'm seeing that now, yeah. Um, and the bears more and more, especially in those areas, they've been scaling cliffs looking for food. So again, it's not that there isn't a shortage of food for them, but that bear may have had just some bad luck. And it slid down a cliff and smashed its leg. And then when it was supposed to be hunting seals, it couldn't get to them fast enough. So it thins out over that period when it's supposed to be fattening. So then it gets to that kind of catastrophic level in that video once the ice actually leaves. Because then they're, they're depending on their fat stores. Right. Um, so anyway, long story short, when they actually went into the Inuit villages nearby and asked them about that video, they were like, no, that bear was probably sick or it broke its leg like it looks like in that video, um, so it couldn't hunt properly. And it, and it didn't help that a lot of that video was shot where there was no ice, which no. Every, everyone just automatically assumed, well, the ice must have just fucking melted, climate <laughs> change, oh my God, where, save the polar bear. Where again, as the reality is, like most polar bears live in a range where during some part of the summer, there's no ice and no snow around there. Jeez, I didn't even, I didn't even realize that fully until I, I not only listen to you but other people talking about that's eh, calm your you know, hold hold your horses a little bit on this well it's don't again, overreact i really like the idea that you know we can use the polar bear as a charismatic species that draws attention to climate change but it has to be for science not for somebody's 
gut reaction. And again, it, the main thing with that video was the National Geographic people posted it with their opinion and saying, look at the effects of climate change, I believe, or something in the, in the, in the title. Mm-hmm. When that's not the case, maybe that contributed. But right. really, the fact is that that bear looked sick to begin with, and it looked like it had a broken leg. So that was probably what caused that. Yeah. We have enough issues with bears um, that we can actually quantify with science um, that, you know, we shouldn't be focusing on these passion kind of things. Again, it, it, and if you listen to the Inuit, they're seeing more bears around their communities, and they're seeing more bears in certain areas. So, you, yeah, again, our, our scientific surveys and things might be somewhat accurate, but you also have to listen to the people that are actually there 12 months a year mm-hmm. all the time because we only, you know, we only have a window that we see. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a very difficult thing to manage and, and, and deal with. But, yeah, after that, after that video came out, I spent some, a lot of time going on Twitter and, like, trying to diffuse people from being like, this is climate change, this is this. No, maybe, but we don't know. So don't, don't front it as that. What, what are you seeing as far as climate change when you're in your, some of your studies? Are you, is, so I guess the first off, the, the loaded question is, because this is a big now become a political thing at least in, in the u.s is well is is climate change real is this global warming is that a real thing what, what are you seeing uh i don't think that there's any question anymore if you look at the the people that study these things mm-hmm. again we're at we're at like 99 percent um, that, that's what i saw now. yeah most not most the other than a small fraction, <laughs> yeah. most agree that climate, the at least global warming, is is a thing, right? It, and again, it's 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 the climate change factor that is we've driven it off of what is a normal oscillation cycle. So again, there there is obviously variation in the climate, right? Sure, and not just in the large scale climate measures, but there's also in in the small scale, like even you know in Chicago or Ottawa recently, you've seen swings of what twenty five thirty degrees Celsius in like a day. Um, so it depends what you're looking at. You know, if we're looking at temperatures, air temperatures, water temperatures, if we're looking at ice extent, if we're looking at whatever the metric is, um, you have to be careful at how you're looking at it and how you're analyzing it, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. So when it comes to climate change and, and these kinds of things, these are usually based on the ice extent measurements and things like that from um, from scientists that have been studying these things for for decades mm-hmm. and you can't just find an average or like a mean and a or a median or whatever in a specific time and say okay that's what the temperature was or what the ice extent was here right like these guys use complex mathematical algorithms to average things over certain periods of time so you can actually create or not create but you can reveal trends in the data um regardless if you look at the natural temperature cycles, for example, that have happened since the ice ages or the natural ice cycles, we are well off those, those, um, historical patterns now. Mm -hmm. And based on, again, ice cores and and things like that, you can actually see, um, some of this historical data. So now we're projecting into the future, which is where a lot of people get, get hitchy about the whole thing. Right. But you're, Mm -hmm. you work in, in, um, in business, like if you're do, if you're deconvoluting economic trends, or you're like looking at long-term economic trends, you don't look at the day-to-day variation either. Again, you look no. at you look at trends over the course of decades. Right. You try to you try to take a wider scope on things. 
Yeah, exactly. Just the fluctuation day to day. If if you follow that, the fluctuation day to day is just is too too much of a swing, and and you is you can leads to wild overreactions. Exactly, which I think is what we see a lot in climate science for the most part. Um, whereas when again these again much better uh, mathematical scientists than I um, apply these algorithms that they developed over a very long period of time to kind of show the underlying trends to this variation. Mm-hmm. There's consistent increases in temperature and there's consistent decreases in sea ice overall throughout the Arctic. Um, but if you're looking yeah. at lo- localized areas, you can see very different trends. Like it's uh, it's crazy, but it's that it's the day to day variation that makes it complicated to analyze. Mm-hmm. But it's the day to day variation that's actually also the biggest concern um, for me, for example, uh, because say one bad year with sea ice. Mm-hmm. Um, where the ice breaks up two months earlier than it normally would mm-hmm. and freezes up a month later, that'll that could cost a lot of polar bears their lives. So their population might drop in that year. Are, are you are you noticing these things? Are these things popping up in your uh, research? These are still again longer term trend kind of things yeah. that, are, that are being investigated. Um, but they, some of my colleagues, not not myself so much, um, but there are guys that specifically look at the biological relationships. Um, of bears with sea ice. So again, looking at their, um, their fat thickness, their health, um, and their reproductive success, uh, is a big one, uh, in relation to that kind of thing. And they're seeing changes, but I'm not sure that there's necessarily anything concrete yet. Reproductive but, success indicates that the, the bear is healthy and, and can produce, right? And yeah, they're, yeah. they're getting enough food because conditions allow for them to find food much easier. Exactly. Right. Um, so a lot of our colleagues actually over in, in, um, Denmark do a lot of really interesting work correlating uh, contaminant concentrations to like penile bone density in polar bears, mm-hmm. um, for example. And they're penile finding, bone, nice. Yeah, they actually have a bone down there because it's so <laughs> so, co- it's so it's so cold that they can't uh, they can't get it going. Without that, that, when you first said that, I, I was when you first said that, it just went over my head. I was like, oh, that's just another bone in the body. And then I went, oh, wait a minute, the penis bone. Yes, okay. Right. But for Continue. example, uh, they're, but they're but they're finding like decreases in the the penis bone density with increasing concentrations of certain contaminants. How, now, wait, they're finding that people in Denmark are are finding uh, this about polar bears. Yeah, well, they well they so the, do they, they have a population over there? Uh, the Danish are responsible for the Greenland population for the most part. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Sorry, I didn't. Yeah, I should have specified that. Um, yeah. So they are the holders of a lot of the other data in the Arctic because um, they do actually put some money into the Greenland. Those, those polar fucking polar bears program. got over to Greenland. That's awesome. They're just yeah, hanging out on that big giant island. Yeah, definitely. But yeah. Uh, but yeah. But again, in terms of the long term kind of effects of climate change, we're we're hypothesizing now. But it's um, it's based on their body condition. Like again, the longer the sea ice is out, um, mm-hmm. and before the freeze up occurs, there's if there's a longer period of time, the bears get skinnier. Mm-hmm. And they look less healthy, and the females tend to lose more young and things like that. So, um, but now again, there's been these long-term data sets that are starting to come together, and now they're being put together with the temperature data. So, in the next in the next five years, I think we'll see a big explosion of a lot of these these data that people have been working on for for decades that are now kind of at the point where we can statistically show some of these things to be true. Mm-hmm. But for obvious reasons, people are very hesitant scientifically to, again, attribute things to climate change until we have strong data. Mm. Because then we end up in the same situation as everything else that's been happening, like I mentioned, with that National Geographic photo where, again, you're following your gut and you're looking at 
you know, uh, a starving polar bear and, and you're, you're emotional about it, but what you really want to do is, is, is show scientifically that well, it's changed. Well, science in, in general is, is supposed to be devoid of emotion. It's supposed to be the finding of facts, right? This is true. So, again, I like to think that I'm, I'm driven by like a passion to, for the animals themselves and for mm-hmm. the, and to, you know, do what I can to preserve the ecosystem as a whole. Um, but I never walk into a, you know, a study or an experiment necessarily with a, like a predisposed idea as to what's going to happen. It's more, it's more important for lab science. Like if I'm, ta- if I'm doing an actual experiment in a laboratory, whereas in the field, I might have some idea, you know, if bears in certain areas might be more exposed to a certain contaminant, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like it's right. bears that are closer to industrialized areas have higher concentrations of mercury. It's not a surprise, but you know, again, you have to, again, you have to be careful what you're, the way you think about it and the way you present it. Um, is it is it frustrating for you when you, I, I don't know if it, you see it up in Canada as much, but is it frustrating for you when you see politicians, for example, that clearly don't have a science background but are taking a anti-global warming stance purely based on politics rather than science? It's one of the more frustrating parts of of a lot of my... <laughs> you know, internet reading in life sure. right now. To be honest, again, I work. I work. This shouldn't go- be a political debate. It's it's either it is or it isn't. Exactly. Or, or or we don't know yet. And that's that's exactly it, right? It's there. There are clear effects, and there are clear some clear things that that based on the models that we have, and based on the data from the experts that we have, they're saying again. For example, flooding is increasing in certain parts of the world, and that is climate change related. Um, there are ocean levels that are rising in certain parts of the world. And that is climate change related. Um, we can see these things happening yet. Politicians will go on TV and tell you that it's not happening. Um, or that, you know, we don't need to worry about it because they have another plan to deal with the pollution and whatever else. Like in Canada right now, there's a big debate over our carbon pricing. Okay. Um, so there's a tax that they're putting on to big industries like oil industries and pretty much any, any large scale industry that would, Basically, for the um, carbon dioxide that they are calculated to produce, they have to pay a certain amount into uh, like a cap and trade kind of system, mm-hmm. um, so they can they can buy more carbon credits, but it costs money that goes into climate change research and like sure. renewable so, energy research and things like that. So, yeah, so the, the more the more you did, in quotes kind of mess up the environment, the more you'll pay for people like you to study it. Exactly. Well, yeah, yeah. Exa- exactly, and it also is an incentive for them to start and know, to stop exploring other <laughs> other aspects of right. Of, you don't. That's the way to hurt a business is just take drain them of money. However, most most businesses are in Canada, especially the oil like big oil companies like Suncor, were quite supportive of a climate uh, or sorry a carbon tax hmm. um, because it was creating opportunities for a different market to develop. Where if they were being very climate uh, conscious and reducing their footprint. They could actually sell their credits to other people, and you know whatever. So it was a, it was a, it was a bit of a, a test system, but like you know, it was it was pretty much in full force. Now we have a bunch of other politicians that have come in in Ontario, and they just canceled our contribution to it without any information. No, but, no. They, but they said you know this is raising gas prices by four cents. This is raising this by two cents. So it's costing people of Ontario money. So we're going to back out of it. However, the federal government said, well, no. If you're not going to do it, we'll put that in place for you now. 
Anyway, so it's become this ridiculous thing, but it's back and forth between people that don't actually understand what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Which is frustrating for someone like you. Because you want, you know, you want both sides of the argument to be defended by facts and science. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it always comes down to what's it going to cost the average family per year? Mm-hmm. <laughs> can we, can we reduce that? Or can we like somehow convince them that it's not going to affect their lives? Whereas, like, I don't know, again, a lot of people in my age range, like, it, so the average estimate was, like, it'll be $760 a year if you're polluting a lot for a family in Canada. But the, the federal government will give you a rebate of, like, $500. Mm-hmm. So all said and done, I would pay $260 a year to do better things for research in relation to renewable energy and the climate in Canada. And I'm okay with that. Right. Take my $260. Is that really all I have to pay to develop that? Great. But, feel, but, a, but a lot of feel, people do not feel that way, right? So it's. I feel like there's this constant push-pull between science and, and politicians because you know, politicians are here to make things better, in their opinion, right now. Yes. Whereas science just doesn't move that fast. You can't, there's no, their answers don't come right now. And the answers might be, you know, 20 years of doing something, 30 years and for a politician, they're going to be, that's four, you know, in America at least, that could be three, four times their, their you know, their their career as a politician, as a major politician. So that, that's there's a, no benefit to them it's to, to look at the scientific way of viewing things. It's absolutely true. And I think that's, that's a huge problem um, because... There's not a lot of scientists doing politics. <laughs> well... Well, no, but I mean, again, there's probably a few reasons for that, but like, yeah, that's why, but there's not a lot of science with my meeting. My, I mean, the politicians don't have scientific background, so they're not coming at it from that viewer perspective. No, exactly. I mean, it's because they would, <laughs> the scientists would probably say things that would terrify a lot of the public and then they right. would never get elected. Exactly. Um, but I think the idea that we're like fear mongering kind of people is also a bit misconstrued because I'm more looking to this again, like be factual about everything you know it's not yeah the climate change issues are a bit terrifying when you look at the worst projections mm-hmm. but we should we should be focusing on the things they, they're saying we can't achieve like you know there are goals in 20 30 years that can prevent though they think will prevent a lot of sea level rise and, and things like that but yeah i don't know like you said there's a big there's a such a huge divide between that that four-year term um or that eight-year term that uh right that a person might have we see in Canada, we don't have the limits on the prime ministership. Um, okay. So you could actually theoretically be elected indefinitely as the prime minister. Well, that makes sense that your government funds the research that you're oh, doing well, as much it, as it does. That rarely happens though. Like it's, uh, oh, really? well, because yeah, I don't know. Again, it's the same thing in the States. There's, there's, there's such a black and white thing that the liberals always undo so much of what the conservatives do that they spend, when the conservatives get in power, they spend so much of their time trying to redo what they already did. Sure, yeah. And vice versa. So we've just gotten caught up now, <laughs> more or less, to what happened after the last conservative government left. And now we're due for another election in the fall. Mm. And if the liberals get voted out, that whole, like everything that they've done scientifically is going to be undone very quickly. Jeez. Um, in terms of environmental protections and things like that. And our and the conservative representative in Canada is actually very. Wouldn't say he's Trumpian. Let's not go quite there, but he's definitely like anti-climate change, pro um, 
pro nationalism, pro like you know what I mean. Like it's a, mm-hmm. it's a it, the parallels are hard to ignore, and mm. it's and it's a bit strange. And if that happens, my new job will probably be safe, but a lot of people I know will not be safe in that respect. So, hmm. well, um, let's not focus too much on the negative. No. <laughs> <laughs> what are you what are you finding up in in some of your research? What are some cool things you're finding? What's some interesting things that you're you're finding up there? Well, one of the I think one of the most encouraging things about polar bears in particular is that they are highly adaptive animals. Um so a lot of the contaminants that we find in their food sources, ring seals, um can accumulate to quite high levels, but in the bears we see them What drop kind of off. contaminants are you finding? Uh, well, there's a whole, we we look at so we look at everything um, that we can that we would think would be a concern. So we look at flame retardants, so things that are in your clothing. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of news about BPA, for example, um, bisphenol A, which is like a plasticizer, flame retardant, uh, an endocrine disruptor. But it's not so much of a concern. But chemicals similar to that, um, that again, we put into any material to stop them from becoming uh, uh, very flammable, mm-hmm. and we like to make a lot of materials out of petroleum chemicals right mm-hmm. like <laughs> um anything synthetic has some kind of element of petroleum which makes them super flammable um so we add flame retardants to them that basically stop the fire from spreading in these materials and those are some of the most abundant chemicals that we find in the arctic uh, not just in polar bears and in, in birds and seals and fish um why, why are you finding what people are just discarding their yeah well think about it right the clothing oh, that's right yeah. it's, not, it's not it's not just clothing it's uh electronics they're a huge source well, yeah. Um, so you know, when you see a circuit board, um, when a little when a fire or a spark happens on a circuit board, it fizzles out like immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because there's a high concentration of flame retardants in that. Oh, no board. kidding! I had no fucking clue. Um, there's a reason again. Like it's an electrical system, so fire should spread, but they need to make sure that it doesn't. So they add again these fire quenching chemicals to these formulas, and they, and so even in the outer hull of your computer, there's a bunch of plasticizers and flame retardants. And then the circuit boards themselves. And so, yeah, electronics, clothing, uh, carpets, upholsteries, uh, curtains, like, you know, everything. Everything, uh, yeah. Uh, produces these things. I guess things. that makes sense because you, you, the home builders of today don't want your house to go up in flames as quick as it could without that stuff. No, exactly. And it's, it's, it's interesting because you don't necessarily think that the Arctic would be a, an abundant source of these things, but the people up there also wear fleeces. You know, they have computers. So now there's local sources up there, whereas we always assume that most of the most of the contamination comes from down here. Um, and it does. Like, we, There's been a lot of studies in the early 90s that showed, um, even though things are getting into the waterways around here in parts per, like, quadrillion uh, or parts per femtillion, which is almost ridiculous to even think about, like, 10 to the negative 15th, <laughs> um, like concentrations that, that those are sizes you can't even fathom they'll get into the arctic ocean and then they'll build up in the animals up there because a lot of these chemicals build up in fat oh um, shit okay and so arctic animals even the fish in the arctic have a higher fat content uh, because they use the fats to combat the cold and keep their cell membranes fluid and uh, there's a lot of reasons better energy source etc cetera, etc cetera. but because they store fat even in the fish and then they store blubber in the mammals they're more susceptible to accumulating these contaminants, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, years ago they found that some of the industrial chemicals from the south were actually higher in Arctic ladies' uh, breast milk than in a place right beside where they were making the chemicals. Um, what the? 
Wow. Because the Arctic people were eating the marine mammals that had a higher. Oh, yes. Okay. That makes sense. It yeah. magnified a higher concentration of these contaminants and things. Like it's, uh, yeah. So we look for, again, some of these historical chemicals, again, like the things that we know build up, like the flame retardants and um, PCBs, they're called, and other organochlorine pesticides like DDT, which most people are familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also look for brand new chemicals in the bears, things that might not necessarily be a concern yet. And most of those new chemicals that we look for, the polar bears seem to break down and get rid of um, because we find them in seals and we find them in fish. Uh, but by the time we look for them in bears, they're not they there seem, anymore. They seem to be gone. So that is a good news story. It means that some of the chemical engineers and people that are developing these chemicals um, have been learning from historical uh, historical lessons in terms of what accumulates and what doesn't. And in some cases, these companies actually even hire scientists ahead of time nowadays and will say, we want to use this chemical <laughs> mm-hmm. um, to be a plasticizer or a flame retardant in a certain material. Um, can you tell us whether or not you think this will be an issue? Um, so they'll allow the scientists to like get the chemical, run experiments on it, and test it. Um, so some of the new classes of, of flame retardants, things that are replacing these really harmful harmful chemicals, um, seem to be yeah seem to be getting broken down and, and gotten rid of by the by the polar bears, which is a good sign because that means we might be able to do that as well. <laughs> what do you mean, like we as in people can get rid of it? Humans, yeah, yeah. Although again, it's a different different system. Obviously, a bear and a human are quite uh, quite different, but. We often look at either polar bears or seals or high-level predators as um, as an example as to what might happen in the humans in the Arctic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, in some cases, it, yeah, it seems like the bears are able to get get rid of some of these chemicals and and and, and survive. Are there any other concerns that you're finding in polar bears of, of contaminants? Yeah, the, I mean, the main contaminants have been the same for the last twenty years, and that's the mm-hmm. kind of the, that's the scary thing, like PCBs. Mm-hmm. They're uh, PCBs. Chemicals. So PCBs used to be used in in uh, dielectric fluids. So big okay. transformers again, things big electrical systems that you would see on the side of the highway, the big transformers and stuff like that. Sure, they, they would be filled with PCB containing fluids. So that if there was a fire or a spark, the uh, the PCB would essentially help to and extinguish that fire before it became a huge issue. Uh, but they were banned in the late 70s, and we still find them in the highest concentrations in the animals throughout the Arctic um, because they were made to be persistent and not break down. And what, what is it doing to the bear? Uh, so some of them mimic hormones. Um, so they can bind into receptors that would cause a hormone response, uh, mm-hmm. which is not good because usually it's thyroid hormones, and your thyroid regulates most of the systems in your body to some degree. Um, so if something looks like a thyroid hormone and is binding to the thyroid receptor, your body thinks there's more thyroid hormone there than it, there is, and it can, again, just affect the regulation of like pretty much everything in the body, and it can lead to cancers and all kinds of other issues. Um, and then, yeah, and then the other, other contaminants bind to uh, like sex hormone receptors, um, mm-hmm. so things that interfere with either testosterone or, um, or estrogen. Yeah, those would be important for a bear. It would be important. No, and well, anyone else, really. And any organism, really, <laughs> that's, that's developing, you need to have the right uh, hormone response kind of cascade that happens, right? So 
So yeah, they, again, most for the most part, what we see with a lot of these contaminants in the long term is that they seem to interfere again with development uh, through the endocrine system, so they have a thyroid system and things like that, or they interfere with the sex hormones like testosterone and and, and uh, estrogen. Um, and then in some cases, like mercury, they're like directly um, toxic to like the neurological system. Um, but that's that's pretty rare. It's mm-hmm. re- you're not gonna a polar bear or an animal in the Arctic is not gonna eat something that is so highly contaminated with a pesticide, for example, mm-hmm. that it's going to go into neurological shock because the pesticide's at a low concentration. It's more the long-term effects that we're looking for. Uh, I see. So there's, there's really, I mean, you've been, do, you've been seeing this for 20 years, but there's still, there's not enough, is there not enough data to make any conclusions yet, or is it still an ongoing thing that's going to be going for a while? Well, I mean, yeah, the thing is right now, like I said, one of my projects right now, we're looking at kind of holistic effects of all the all the contaminants in the bear. Normally what we do is look at one contaminant and its effect on a certain enzyme or, mm. or one thing and its effect on the sex hormone concentration. Uh, but what I'm trying to do is look at the effects of the, all 295 contaminants that we measure mm-hmm. at once. And that might give us some insight, but it's still an early stage. Um, most of what we can do right now, because polar bears, we don't we don't have a lot of captive polar bears that we can experiment on like mice um so we don't necessarily know (laughs) i think that i think the public would go crazy if we had captive polar bears like we did mice and experimented absolutely when i first started one of the projects i'm working on now i actually suggested just feeding the polar bears two different diets like one was strongly seal meat and one that was all fish Mm -hmm. um and and i i got denied like there was no way Swiftly. they would let me do that oh yeah. right. immediately <laughs> you, you cannot mess with captive don't, animals yeah don't fuck with the polar bears especially um but uh but yeah so again like i said some of my colleagues over in, in denmark have actually been showing correlations again you're familiar with business you know correlation yep it's just two things that tend to increase together it doesn't necessarily mean causation causing the other right um but Again, they're finding pretty consistent relationships of like decreased penile bone density with certain contaminants. Oh yeah, yeah. Which again means that the males are going to be less successful in their reproductive efforts. Um, but can, whether that's which will lead to a decreased population, obviously, in the, in the long run. But, yeah. but those kind of long-term projections are really are difficult to do. Okay. Um, they just recently did one with the uh, the killer whale populations across the world. You find and those it, up in the in the Arctic as well. Uh, well, they're they're getting higher and higher and in, into the Arctic now. Um, okay. They used to venture into the Arctic regions, but relatively rarely, I guess. Um, okay. But with the warming oceans, they seem to be moving north more and more. And killer whales are one of the more terrifying things in the ocean for other animals in the ocean. Yeah, they're uh, monsters. They'll eat uh, almost anything, and they're and they're smart, and they're pod hunters. So they they work as a group. Like again, there's a lot of things about them that just make them super, super the, the, effective. Those videos you see of them just destroying white sharks are just insane. Yeah, well, yeah, there's a whole population of them that are that are shark hunters. Yeah, uh, because they figured out that again, shark liver is mostly fat. So if they just rip the shark open and eat his liver and leave the rest of the carcass, it's almost like a seal. Jeez. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the but the the orcas anyone are, that's seen Free Willy is just thinking to themselves. I had no fucking clue that these animals were just these terrors in the ocean. Well, and again, they, they're interesting because they can get quite um, like acclimated to people being around them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so there are populations where you were near Vancouver. Um, yeah. That are you shout know, out to Vancouver, great city. <laughs> that are quite used to having people around them in boats. Do, do they ever attack humans? Or is it, is it one of those things where humans provide no nutritional value to them and they're not a threat? It's a good question. I, I'm not sure. Um, okay. The Inuit are terrified of them. Uh, well, actually, I'm going to recant that already. But the, the Inuit have a healthy fear of them. Okay. Um, because they used to go out and hunt seals in kayaks. And when you're in a kayak <laughs> and a killer whale surfaces somewhere near you. It's it's over. A little bit terrifying, right? Yeah, so, I mean, you're going to get flipped capsized real quick if it, it that whale hits the kayak. Exactly. So there's there's one of the few animals that I've, I've seen a healthy um, kind of fear of in the Arctic was, was, were killer whales. Um, but yeah, again, they, they didn't encounter them that much and they, and they don't tend to range that far North, uh, but they're getting further and further North now. Uh, anyway, a friend of mine and some other colleagues of mine recently published a paper where they, they found that the PCB burden and some of the other pesticide burdens in um, these killer whale populations across the planet are some of the highest that we've ever seen and that they predicted that I think I should know this number, but uh, they predicted that a small subset of these populations will actually collapse and disappear uh, completely um, over the course of the next Whoa. 50 years um, or hundred years based on these, based on these data. And that's a, a ballsy thing to do uh, as scientists because, you know, projecting your data from concentrations in individuals, in the population mm-hmm. out to the entire population is is risky but i think there needs to be more of that kind of happening in science because we're all very conservative and we're and we're we don't want to say too much you know what i mean like it's like right. it, yeah the concentrations in this in these polar bear populations are are very high and maybe it's having an effect but you know we just need 10 more years of data and in some cases that may not be the right approach you know what i mean mm-hmm. we, we should be more conservative in terms of what we're exposing them to. So I don't know. I was, I was quite proud of my, my colleagues for look for, for going out on a limb and doing something like that and saying something like that. And if we continue on these same paths, then these, like a certain number of these killer whale populations are going to die. And, um, yeah, in a lot of cases that'll, that'll change the dynamic of the oceans greatly. Um, killer whales are again, very unique because there's some of them that stay in one area and then some of them that range across continents Mm-hmm. Um, they've 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 evolved to fill these different niches. Um, so no, and they're the top predators. So nobody really knows, you know, what's going to happen if that if that actually comes to be. So again, I think mm-hmm. again, right now we're at a point scientifically where we have really cool tools to predict future outcomes. Um, but we still have to be scientific about it. Uh, right, that's and, the balance, and be careful. But there's no harm in saying, you know. This is what could happen, worst case scenario. In a worst case scenario, exactly. In a risk assessment kind of approach, there are degrees that you can approach and say worst case, you know, best case. Mm -hmm. But yeah. So when when you're doing your, are you always on the road or? Uh, No, to be honest, in the last little while, I've I've been mostly based in Ottawa. Okay. So Um, stuff's coming to you? Yeah. Yeah. Even uh, a lot of the lab work is done for me right now. We have technicians that do most of the processing and uh, good relationships with people in the North that are doing a lot of the collections. So mm-hmm. I've been a computer jockey for a while, which is weird. Um, <laughs> Didn't you mention you've, you've lived or been with the Inuit? I never lived like for an extended period of time in the North, but I've been up 
for a couple weeks at a time by myself. Okay. Um, How where where north is that? So I've been to a place called Joe Haven, um, which is on the near the coast um, of Nunavut. It's at like the 65th parallel or so. Um, but my main place of work was always Resolute Bay. Um, that's at the 75th parallel on Cornwallis Island. Um, it's this tiny little village of like 200 people, mm-hmm. fa- faces south. Uh, and then I've also been to Pangerton, which is one of the most beautiful places in the Arctic uh, on the east coast of Baffin Island. So Pankerton is cut into like a fjord um, that bottoms out at a park called Ayutuk National Park, which is, means the land that never melts. It's a glacial park. It's a lake that has three different glaciers that feed into it. Pang- uh, How do you spell Pankerton? Uh, P-A-N-G-N-I-R-T-U-N-G. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, Googling this stuff as you speak. So no, no, continue. please. That's cool. Um, but yeah, no, Pang's again one of the most. Oh, that's fucking beautiful. Scenic places I've ever been to in the Arctic. Um, Resolute is the place that has my heart, but it's mostly flat. <laughs> um, <laughs> Pangerton's definitely got the views. Oh, definitely, and that's that's where I saw my first Greenland shark as well. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, those things are fucking weird looking, aren't they? They are very weird looking, and uh, we thought they were much rarer than they actually are. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're blind cause they live below the light penetration level. Sure. Um, they have like moss growing on the outside of them <laughs> or not moss, sorry, <laughs> algae growing on the outside it, of they them. They look like zombie sharks. That's actually the best description I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> it looks uh, like the fucking walking dead shark. Totally. That's yeah. actually, that's a perfect, perfect description. I try, man. Um, but yeah, so one of my friends, um, that works out of the University of Windsor, he recently found out that they might be up to five or 600 years old. Yeah, I'm seeing one right now. One picture from, well, this is News Nation, 512-year-old Greenland shark measuring 18 feet. Yep. Or is it the world's oldest living vertebrae? Holy fuck. How is this possible that they're living that long? Because they're, um, they live in the deep ocean. Their metabolism is like super, super slow. Uh. Um. Like we, again, I think I told you, we pulled one out of the ocean at one point um, because we were fishing for a, a halibut, Greenland halibut, mm-hmm. on a long line. So they sit like a thousand meters down in the ocean. Um, but as we were pulling the line up, there was a shark on it. And it was like a 10 foot shark, um, but it did not put up like any fight. Like it was already, it was already wrapped in a line and its gills were damaged. So it was going to, going to die regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, so our Inuit guide said, well, We'll sacrifice this one for for samples, but uh, it, again, it put up like no fight. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't think they have a huge amount of energy because they're cold water sharks. Um, what are, what's their diet? How are they hunting then? So I don't think they hunt. Um, I oh, think they're, they're just scavenging. They're, they're large scale scavengers. So whatever falls to the ocean floor, they eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, if you look at their teeth, it's interesting because their top teeth are somewhat pointed. Um, and then their bottom teeth are actually curved over. Um, so it looks like the edge of like a serrated bread knife. They don't look like a, they don't look like, a, like pointed shark teeth. I see that, yeah. Um, so it's more of something that would be used to like slice off chunks. Yeah, just bite off chunks instead of hold on and grip. And tear. Yeah. Like, like a great white or something, right? Right. So, um, so the, yeah, the prevailing theory is that, yeah, they eat a lot of seal, but usually seals that have already died and sunk to the bottom. Um, but yeah, anyway, they're, but they're fascinating animals and just, and just, yeah, 
Again, like I said, my friends have just recently found out that they they might live to be like centuries old. So Jesus Christ! Next time we need a history lesson, we need to pull up a fucking Greenland shark and find a way to communicate with them. Well, they they're trying to figure out now too because um, if they've been alive that long, they might have traces of not just contaminants but also like other useful information in their in their tissues. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is because they're they're sharks, they don't have bone. Right. Um, right. And bone is often where you can see these kind of long term, long term laydowns of, of contaminants, for example, or other other factors. Um, but they're all cartilage, <laughs> and so there there may not be these long term records in those animals that we can we can look at. It's too bad, right. but it's the same reason we couldn't age them traditionally, because normally you would take a chunk of the of the vertebra from behind mm-hmm. the head of the shark, and they can count the rings in the cartilage like a tree, and that would tell you how old the shark is. Um, but when we did that with the Greenland shark, I was there when she, the, um, Bailey McMeans is the scientist I was working with. She pulled out this vertebra and the middle of it just kind of fell out. <laughs> oh my God. Cause it was jelly. Um, so you can't age them normally. So they, they figured out a way to use the radiation from the atomic bomb blast in the forties to track Holy back, fuck. To track back <laughs> the age. <laughs> Science is crazy. <laughs> you can do some cool shit if you know what you're doing. Right. <laughs> Holy fuck. Um, but yeah, but that's, yeah, again, I worked with some of those, those students and those people up in the North and this was in Pangerton. That was in Pang. Yeah. Pang. So you, you were around the Inuit people there. I guess they're, they're just accustomed to normal life. They, 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 they seem normal, like uh, normal as in what we would assume is normal. Uh, it's hard to, hard to describe the Inuit. Yeah. How is it? Describe it. So the Inuit folks are. Some of the most welcoming people I've ever met, um, but you have to be open-minded and on like willing to accept that their life is much different than yours. You sure, know what I mean, okay. like they see so much ignorance <laughs> um, and read so much ignorance, and they've been through so much shit over the years. Um, not just the Inuit, but the First Nations, like the Southern Indigenous people in Canada and in the U.S. as well, that they they have a healthy degree of distrust a lot of the time, right? And they have a high demand for scientists to come into the community because we mm-hmm. want to know what's going on um, with the environment. Um, but the main reason, for example, again, the organi- one of the organizations I worked for was established was to look at concentrations of contaminants in Inuit food to make sure their food is safe. So there's always that spin of you have to make sure that you're doing something not just for the science and not just for your purposes, but it's got to be for the community too. Mm-hmm. And they can sniff out somebody who's there for their own purposes and has no interest in them really quickly. Um, <laughs> and they really do not appreciate it. They'll take your money and they'll, and they'll help you do what you need to do if it's been approved by their, by their government. Um, but, you know, they really want to see the benefits to their communities. And, who, and right, who governs and, the Inuit? Right, uh, they, well, they had the Nunavut government. Um, so back in the 90s, when we established this territory as Nunavut uh, uh-huh. across Canada, um, they got their own government, essentially. Um, so they function as part of the government of Canada, um, but the land claims agreements mean that they have ownership over the land. So I don't need to ask the government of Canada for permission to go and do my sampling in Resolute Bay, um, but I have to get approval from the community, um, Hunters and Trappers Association. I have to, Then they take that to a board um, that represents their region, it has to be approved there, and then at some level, it has to be approved by the by the greater government as well. Um, 
So they really, and, and increasingly so now, because they're more economically independent and things, they're, they are looking to make sure that the science that's going on there is, is not harming the environment, for one thing, because <laughs> surprisingly a lot of people go up there and leave all their crap there and, you know, um, do research and then fuck off. And it's, well, those, those are fucking losers. It, it, yeah, <laughs> I totally agree, but it's also, you know, not that uncommon. Uh, really? or, or it wasn't back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, anyway, again, I, I find the Inuit to be refreshing <laughs> and amazing people because I like the outdoors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a hunter, but my family's always been hunters and, you know, I threw myself into it. Like I've dissected a seal from top to bottom, um, several, um, I don't shy away from the, from the kind of gory aspects of what they do, mm-hmm. um, because it's their way of life. And I, again, I, what does their diet consist of? Um, depends where you are. In the high Arctic, like in Resolute Bay, they're still, well, actually in a lot of the, in a lot of the Arctic, they're still dependent on some level of, of country food, they call it, or traditional food. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's caught food on the land. So you have seals, you have fish, uh, seabirds, like ducks, uh, they go collect seabird eggs as well. Um, they also eat like berries, um, certain lichens are used as herbs. Like there's lots, there's all kinds of different foods, but largely it's seal, caribou, fish, um, and then some other local fruits and stuff. Uh, but have you have you had seal? Oh yeah, I love I, I love seal meat actually, and it's it's now something that I can't get, so I fucking crave it. <laughs> what, what, what would you equate it to? What's it taste like? <sighs> my my first assessment was that it's kind of like fishy duck, uh, or oh. and, and with a bit of like a rabbity texture to it in some parts. Um, it's definitely. I mean, the animal's built very differently, um, right. but but the the basic parts of it are the same but the on my first time eating usually they braise the shit out of it um so they'll put it in a pot of water and just cook it for i don't know a couple hours until it's mm-hmm. tender and then they serve it with uh <laughs> often the, the only time they've ever had it it's been served with powdered mashed potatoes um mixed into whipped mashed potatoes and then blue kool-aid <laughs> as <laughs> blue juice. kool-aid's a nice touch yeah well you know the the booze is hard to come by up there and uh very expensive so and a lot of the Inuit communities have actually banned alcohol. So, oh no, kidding! You, you can still get it, but it's yeah, you can't drink in public. You can't be drunk in public. You have to special order it. It's a it's a big deal. I mean, the the common conception of Inuits is that they all live in igloos. I'm looking at pictures of Resolute Bay, and no, they have nice little houses. Yeah, they have nice little houses. This, <laughs> this is just normal urban, or as urban as it gets up there. Um, but yeah, but the, but the seal meat was, is really interesting again, cause it's, when you look at it, it's like a deep, deep maroon color. Um, like a red, like you've never seen, like it, it it's very unique and they braise it. And so I was, <laughs> I was eating the, one of my first pieces and I was like, Oh, the rib is really good. And my friend was like, no, that's the, that's the flipper. But yeah, it's probably pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. It's the same shape, I guess. Um, but yeah, no, it's if it's braised properly, the the gravy for it, it's really nice. But we we discovered the hard way that um our metabolism doesn't really deal with the seal meat the same way theirs does. You mean as the Inuit? Uh yeah. So mm-hmm. so my Inuit friend, as we were helping ourselves to a second portion, he was like, You guys can have all you want. He's like, But you white guys should be careful. It'll make you hot. And my friend that was with me on that trip, he was like the field expert. Um, mm-hmm. So he wasn't a scientist per se. He looked at me with like, is this guy telling the truth? And I was like, no, I don't think so. I think it's just, I think we'll be fine. 
and uh turns out no we were not fine we so we so we ate another whole like plate full of seal meat hang out with my friend for a little bit and then we were flying out a couple days later and we were walking back to our hotel and as we're walking back i was like i can't stop sweating and like i had my parka off and i was like just carrying it and my friend was like i don't feel so good I'm like what's happening here you said we'd be fine scientist <laughs> and uh <laughs> and uh yeah so turns out again the the seal uh blubber and the seal meat is rich in like a in very short chain fatty acids mm-hmm. and those super short chain fatty acids get shunted into your metabolic cycle um faster than some carbohydrates and faster than some proteins do um, so your body will just process those and fat creates three times as much energy as protein or carbohydrate. So when you're burning up that fat, it's creating that much more energy mm. on top of what you're so normally you're creating. Up. So you literally heat up. Like we went back, <laughs> we went back to the hotel room and I was laying there with the window open <laughs> in, uh, <laughs> and my boxer shorts just like laying in the bed praying that I didn't die. Cause I thought I was just going <laughs> to overheat to death. And, uh, yeah, I, I I did. There's no research that I could find on this. It was just like basic nutritional. Was it so for the Inuit? Is it just because they've been eating it so long that they're they they're accustomed to it, or they don't eat as much as you do? They they both. they know the ration <laughs> a little bit. I think it's both. They, okay. He was much more conservative on as much as much he ate, but they also are much more conservative diet dieters than we are in general, right? Like how so? Well, I think we have. We have that typical North American like abundance of food kind of mentality. Sure. Okay, yeah, I know what you're They they are much more conservative up north and that they'll eat enough that they're full, but they'll never that I've seen overindulge, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's conservative. You need to save food for the next next meal and the next month and the whatever else, right? So Yeah, they don't they don't eat till they don't eat till they're uh full, like we probably all do. Exactly. Sometimes I eat till I'm uncomfortably full. Yeah, exactly, and you know that you did something wrong, right? right. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but but that's it. So that since like the eighties, I guess in the seventies, they've had much more access to like processed crap uh, and foods up north, and not surprisingly, their rates of diabetes have gone like through the roof. Mm. Uh, the rates of heart disease and shit have gone through the roof. Um, my best, one of my best friends in Resolute Bay, Peter Amaruluk, he's only 50, 55 now, actually, and he's he had a triple bypass when he was in his early forties. Holy shit. And he's um, an Inuit person? Yeah, and somehow he made it from fucking Resolute. What do you, what, what do you call it? Inuit? Like, Inu- or- Inu- Inuit, yeah. That's it? Yeah, it, it, okay. it, it depends. In certain parts of Canada, they call it Inuit. Okay. Uh, but Inuit is how I've always pronounced it. Got it. Um, I don't know if there's a lot, like, I don't call you a Canada person, I call you a Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, so yeah, um, so Nunavut is like the land of the people, is what the translation is. Gotcha. And Inuit means people of the land, basically. Okay. Um, so it was their way of shirking Eskimo, um, which in technical translation means eater of raw meat, I believe. Um, so they always felt that it gave them a, an imagery of savagery, which is not what they uh, portray. So Inuit does not equal Eskimo? Uh, well, they used to be called Eskimos. Used to be. Oh, okay. I got but you. They, I see but, what you're saying. But when they reclaimed their land as Nunavut, mm-hmm. they renamed their people as, got the, it. as okay. the Inuit. Um uh, but yeah, anyway, regardless, they, again, the, like I said, the, the seal meat has always been kind of prized and whatnot. But once I had the seal meat, when you're out on the land and you're working in the snow and it's cold, if, you, if you're dissecting a seal and you get cold, they literally you, would just toss you a small chunk of raw seal meat. You eat the chunk of raw seal meat and you feel your body literally go, and you feel like a rush of real? energy. 
yeah, yeah. It's like, within within five minutes, you literally feel raw seal meat. What's that taste like? Just fat? Uh, well, no. Again, it's a chunk of meat, not the blubber. Um, oh yeah, that's right. You're right. Stupid me. I'm a I'm a stupid chimp, so I have no. No, idea no, no it's all good, man. It's fine. It's it's not <laughs> it, the beluga. They actually chew on the muktuk, like the fat in the skin, uh, but not so much in the seal. Um, Why is that? Why do they do that with the beluga? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess the the taste to, to the Inuit is is good. I I've tried muktuk before, and I did not like it. No, I, I I'll do it as a as a polite gesture if I'm offered, um, but it's not not tasty. Seal meat, caribou meat, any fish they make up there, I'll eat. Raw, Just not, that's raw not the muktuk. Yeah, no, beluga meat was not my liking, and narwhal meat. Um, whale or meat, not neither? No, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it was. Just, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to, again, I don't think I can I'm actually. I'm curious to try all of this. I don't I, know if I'll ever make it up there, but I am curious to try. Seal... Seal meat is something that I'm trying actually to get a friend of mine to send me south um, in a cooler with some samples for us. <laughs> right. Uh, so that I can cook some for my buddies. Just, our, to, just to at, show them. At our annual man's weekend this year, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, I think I think now I know enough that I can cook it without giving everybody the shits. <laughs> so. There you go. I, you know, I, I've always been interested in science. As a kid, I wanted to be a scientist. No joke. In what, then, in what kind of aspect? Like what, what? I had no idea. I just wanted to be a scientist because I loved animals and I loved studying things. Mm-hmm. And then I got into school and realized this is very, much more complicated and much more applied than I want to in school. So now I'm just going to do something easier. <laughs> but was this something you always wanted to do? Were you just like, was this always your calling? Like, I, I want to study science. Yeah, in some ways, I guess. Um, I When I was a little guy... I spent a lot of time outside, and I was always um, super interested in nature and asking questions about nature. And like I've told you guys before, my parents were were super young when I was born. My mom was only fifteen, and my dad was sixteen. So yeah, that's right. That's crazy young. Um, so we didn't have a lot of money, and my grandmother helped raise me. Um, so when we needed to do something, we just went outside. <laughs> and so we it was a creek that I used to go splash around in. And I have old sketchbooks um, that, you know, there are drawings of like the little crayfish and stuff that I used to find. And and often it got it got to the point where I was asking questions my granny couldn't answer. So we'd go to the library and figure out what those things were or what this was. So I guess that was the beginnings of it. But to be honest, when I was in like my early teen years, I wanted to be an artist more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to be a comic book artist. And I'd, most of my sketchbooks are filled with wolverine spider-man like deadpool drawings and whatever else um and through high school that was kind of where i was leaning for the most part and then i figured out that with math i could be good at business so i also kind of veered off into that path a little bit in in high school just to figure out my life but then i realized that a i wasn't creative enough to be a successful artist Mm -hmm. i could copy people's stuff but i was not going to be you know the next jim lee (laughs) Um, yeah you weren't inventing superheroes with your pen or pencil exactly maybe i was going to be an inker who made 25 dollars a page which was not going to do it (laughs) do it right that's no way to live um and then the business thing like again i i took a few business courses and it just didn't appeal to me and at the same time i was taking uh like oh wait so grade 13 we had at the time but senior level chemistry and uh, biology and those two teachers like basically came to me together and said, you should go to university to do something in this field. (laughs) (laughs) 
So um, they were the ones. They were, they were, that was the influence. Well, they were like, you're, you're, you're good at this. You don't seem to acknowledge that. <laughs> but like, you know, you maybe, maybe think about this as a job. And up until that point, I hadn't really considered that I could go do the thing that I wanted to do when I was five and be a marine biologist, you know, and like, and, and do something in that area. And when I actually considered it, you know, most of the stuff that I watched on Discovery was all ocean related. Everything that I was actually passionate about was ocean related i just was in denial <laughs> in some mm-hmm. way i guess or i didn't realize that that could be a job um so you consider yourself now a marine biologist marine biologist as well because well, my, my undergrad degree was in marine biology so my bachelor oh, no my bachelor of science is marine and freshwater biology and i specialized in physiology and uh in biochemistry so just looking at how animals work and then how they adapt to different conditions mm-hmm. um and then yeah, and so then I, I finished my bachelor's, and I, I don't know, I applied to a bunch of government jobs that didn't come through right away, so like a cocky 23-year-old, I got fed up and was working in the restaurant industry, had a really good time working in the restaurant industry for a few years, um, but got to a management job where I realized that, that also was not what I wanted to do, and that I was missing my my passion, you know, like that I, I wanted to do something that challenged me, and uh to be honest, it was actually a weekend in Chicago <laughs> Hey, with, nice. uh, with a friend of mine that I went and did my undergraduate with that I've known since we were 10. Um, and he's like, after many... You, you were swimming in Lake Michigan and went, there's no fucking animals in here yeah. that are any cool. I want to study some cool animals. Let's go. We were supposed to go to the beach, but we didn't make it because I was too hungover. But uh, <laughs> no, but he, like, on the one night after many beers and whatever else, he sat me down and he was like, I went to university with you. I watched you kill yourself to be a scientist and now you're managing a restaurant that you don't really like <laughs> and doing things that you don't care about. It's like, what the fuck happened? That and was your, that was your come to Jesus. And moment. That, that was my come to Jesus moment. Like very shortly thereafter, I decided to fuck it. And I yeah quit my job and got back into school. And then here I am. So it's uh, you know, I followed the right path. It took me a little bit of time to find the right person to go back to school with. Um, mm-hmm. But I went back to get my PhD when I was 28 and I was, I was older. How long did it take you to get the PhD? <laughs> Let's not talk about that. <laughs> no, it hey, took me, all that matters is you got it, right? No, no, it took me seven and a half years. Um, okay. So yeah, I finished around 35. Uh, it shouldn't, it should have been shorter, but I, yeah, I got whatever. There was a lot of life things that happened, but also I got sidetracked into some, some projects uh, on the side that meant a lot to me. Um, so yeah, it wasn't. I didn't speed to the finish, but I definitely got there, and it was it was well worth the ride. But it was yeah, it was a long one. You know, you you mentioned marine biology. Is it so? Random question here: Is it true? Is it the sperm whales that can dive deep into the fucking ocean? And mm-hmm. They fight those killer those giant squid. Yeah, so I think I don't know if that's been confirmed definitively or not, but the sperm whales definitely can get down into like the the trenches. Yeah, the, how the of, fuck does that happen? Um, they collapse their lungs, um, and like their entire body system, basically, like they they allow it to collapse as they go down into the pressure of the ocean. Oh fuck! Um, so they have like <laughs> uh, they have joints between certain parts of their bones and their ribs and stuff like that, so that everything crunches in. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they get they get down there, and because they've expelled all the oxygen from their bodies, they don't need to worry about the bends coming up. That's only mm-hmm. gas trapped in your system, right? Right. Uh, but yeah, and <laughs> some of the wounds on the sperm whale head, they, they think the only thing that could possibly have caused them would be giant squid. 
Um, so, yeah, if you go onto YouTube, I believe there's like animatics of sperm whales fighting giant squid. Yeah, I've seen that stuff. <laughs> well, uh, they've proven, uh, there's been videos I saw on Discovery that giant squid are a real thing. They've caught video of them. Oh, no, they, they, oh, no they've known giant squid and... Um, well, I think, I think there's two there's two different species or two different morphotypes. Like there's the somewhat giant squid <laughs> that's, right. that's in the like the middle ocean, and there's the giant giant squid, and it's uh yeah it's they're huge and they they pulled them up. They're yeah they're no joke. They're they definitely ruled the oceans before there were mammals. I'm sure. The giant squid? Do you think so? They're in my invertebrate zoology class. They were like touted as pretty much the perfect predator, like in terms of the way that they hunt. Um, their eye is actually better than ours um, in a lot of ways. Oh, no kidding. Because they're, the way that our eye translate image, translates images is that it has to flip. Um, like the image is projected onto our retina upside down, and then our optic nerve actually flips the image. Um, whereas in squid, it's projected directly. So in some ways, their vision is actually better than ours. And it actually, their eye works in a very similar way. Um, they have the jet propulsion mechanisms so they can actually like shoot themselves at things um their beak is like super resilient anyway anyway, that there they were again viewed as one of the more effective and voracious predators i believe of the prehistoric oceans no kidding yeah i mean giant squid are the stuff of i I love all that shit when the when they released that video where they caught a giant squid on camera in in the wild i was like fuck yeah that's dope. <laughs> and they lay it out on the table, right? Like, is that the one yeah. here? No, there was one where they they catch it on video and they catch it for a brief couple oh, seconds and then it's like swimming. And then, okay. Yeah, and then it swim, it jets away. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, it was one of the, I believe it was one of the first videos. I think it was on Discovery Channel. It was one of the first videos of one alive in, in not um, caught or anything, just a, a natural right. occurring squid. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's rare. Like, Catching stuff from the deep ocean and getting it to the surface intact is is difficult. Right? Like a lot of the, some of the fish explode. Again, <laughs> a lot of the things with the pressure change. Like, is that right? <laughs> Holy fuck! Don't make it. Yeah, um, that would be a. That's a tough way to go. The pressure explosion. Yeah, it's. A, yeah. I mean, I would. I would picture it being probably the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Besides being eaten, like you just kind of sl- <laughs> you kind of slowly expand till you explode. Yeah, that, that does suck. So. What what are you primarily studying up there? Besides, I, so like, is it it's bears, but it's everything, right? Yeah, again, it, right now I focus on the bears, caribou, and seabirds. Um, okay. But I have a a hand in research with bears, seabirds, seals, all kinds of fish, um, and yeah, not 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 so many of the obscure animals like uh, like the wolverines and stuff like that. But uh, most of the major things that are important to the Inuit. We mm-hmm. have, we have some kind of some kind of hand in, and the the birds are actually something that was never my uh, my interest or my forte when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but birds are amazing creatures, and they they cover such amazing distances with their migrations um, that we're seeing really interesting and different trends in, in birds and than we see in the mammals. And yeah, I've gained a new appreciation. I wish I'd wish I'd learned more about birds when I was in an undergrad degree. I'm not. No. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big bird guy either. Well, yeah, they 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 seem kind of uh, they're unemotional, they're cut and dry kind of animals. But um, I don't know. Again, their 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 behaviors and the way that they, yeah, the way that they've evolved is is fascinating. 
I've always been more of a just in general an um predator in uh liking person. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily birds. Obviously, there's bird predators, but you know bears, lions, tigers, sharks, whales, squid. So were anything you, that were anything you a, that can sorry anything that can kill you. Well, were you, were you a fan of sharks when you were young, or were you afraid oh, of sharks? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, fan. Shark Week. Oh, my God. All day. Great whites, tigers, bull sharks, hammerheads. Let's go. All day with sharks. Yeah, me too. I mean, that was my probably my first real love in the ocean. Again, when around that period I told you about where I was kicking around things in a stream and kind of learning that I like science. When I was four or five, was my, my dad will tell you this story where, he, again, went to the, the library and he got me every Jacques documentary he could mm-hmm. just to shut me up and keep, keep, me, <laughs> keep me busy for a while. And he was like, okay, here's 14 hours of footage. I think my dad did the same exact thing. He bought me something from Discovery Channel where it was, I remember, maybe 10 to 15 tapes, VHS tapes about sharks. Mm-hmm. And it was just one after the other. Put, put, put this one in, watch it. All right. Watch the next one. Just... Exactly. Just shut up about sharks and just watch this. <laughs> I just remember being inundated with VHSs of sharks. And what's amazing too is if you go back to those old school Jacques, uh, Jacques Cousteau documentary videos and things. Yeah, he's very um, non-confrontational about the sharks. Like he doesn't want them to be perceived as predators. You know, like it, well, not as as dangerous predators. Really, right? Like they're they like to highlight that in some ways so that it's you know fascinating to the viewer right um, but he goes out of his way a lot in a lot of those videos to be like these aren't killers like they're not here to eat you like just you know um what's your favorite study them and think about them in, in a way that doesn't involve them eating you and like when you trace it back like jaws itself had a huge impact on the sharking oh, industry yeah, and it really and fucked things over for the sharks there was a yeah my one of my ichthyology professors so the study of fish professors in university he had uh, some statistics on this, and like Jaws literally caused like a a massive kill of sharks off the coast of the United States and every part of the U.S. just because of panic. I but, mean, it's a scary fucking shark in that movie, but they're uh, the great. It's and Jaws is supposed to be a great white. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, and great whites, although dangerous, aren't actually the most dangerous. No, they say bull sharks probably are. Bull sharks, yeah. Bull sharks they, and tigers, but bull sharks especially. Bull sharks will come into like shallower water. Um, they'll come into shallow water, they'll go into fresh water. But I think the bulls end up in like uh sediment rich water a lot of the time too, where it's murky. Um mm-hmm. so they'll just bite things um, right. out of out of interest. Whereas the great whites tend to be deeper ocean, like you're not gonna get a eighteen foot great white shark creeping too close to the shore because <laughs> right. if it gets stuck it's not going to get back um right. but uh you know a 10 foot bull shark still can do a lot of damage and it's right there uh but yeah, yeah no I, I saw some reports recently that they, they think something like 30 or 40 percent of the shark attacks they attributed to great whites off the florida and caribbean coasts were actually probably bull sharks oh no kidding well, they i know they've they've found bull sharks i mean this, they found them all the way up in the chicago river and so and in some instances i mean they can they can swim upstream pretty quickly yeah they definitely they definitely can it's uh there's not a lot of fish that can do that but and right. there's very few sharks that can do it um it involves like a an adaptation in the gill filament that like the cell the cells that move chlorine in and out basically reverse but it's a very like i don't know it's a very uh costly thing to do physiologically so it's surprising that there's a big shark that can do it 
Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a slightly different mechanism. I'm not sure, but um, but it, it it's. <laughs> I mean, imagine seeing something like a bull shark in a in a river, <laughs> and like yeah, that that would be fucking terrifying. And it does happen in <laughs> Africa and stuff as well. Like it's oh really? The bull sharks will get up in there too. Yep. Yep, definitely. But that's uh, crazy. <laughs> yeah, my but my favorite shark is still the hammerhead. I think they are. Oh, because they're so fucking weird looking. They are. But there's there's reasons for it. But it's uh. But yeah, they're just. What's what's why? Yeah, why are they built like that? So, um, there's a scientist named Peter Climley, and he did he did his PhD on hammerheads actually. But they're uh, so they're off the Southern Californian clo- coast there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a big population. There's also great whites. These studies there as well. Um, but. I don't know that this is I mean, definitive, um, but his research showed this pretty pretty succinctly. So, right off the coast there, there's a bunch of seamounts, so underwater mountains um, mm-hmm. that used to be a volcanic have volcanic activity. Um, so they have, you know, a, a stream of magma basically that comes out the top and then creates these these lines that move outwards from the seamounts. So you have this this mountain in the middle of the ocean with a bunch of of spokes basically coming off of it in different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some cases, they go for miles and miles and miles. And then there's other seamounts nearby um, and and what have you. But so what this guy observed was these sharks would just hang out in, in this seamount. So there'd be a huge school of great whites, or sorry, of uh, hammerhead sharks around this seamount. And then as the darkness kind of came in, they would start migrating out and suddenly they'd all vanish into different directions. And then they would come back, and then there seemed to be some kind of like jockeying for position and and whatever else. And yeah, so what he what he figured out was basically that the the hammerheads are using the hammer as a, an electrosensing organ. Um, so all sharks have these on their snouts. They have these cells. Um, actually, they're not even cells, but they're called the ampullae of Lorenzini. So they're a, a sensory organ. Isn't that the stuff that the the guys that have found out no, where nowhere to touch them can put a shark to sleep. Yes, similar kind of idea that yeah. you can kind of sedate them by by stimulating them in the right way. Sure, um, but on most sharks, they're concentrated just in the snout, um, mm-hmm. and then they again they use them to detect vibrations in the water, um, or they think actually in close proximity they can detect literally like your muscle depolarizing. Um, you know, there's a slight electrical. Uh, conduction in your muscles mm-hmm. from your nerves and everything yeah they think that these sharks can actually detect that in the water um and when you look at actually the greenland shark that i mentioned earlier you can actually see the ampullae of lorenzini on their snout which you can't normally see uh, with the with the naked eye and we think they're bigger on the greenland shark because they're blind so they have a better ah, that makes a lot sense. Of sense yeah um but anyway but the hammerhead by using the hammer and moving those cells across a wider space they have a much better resolution. Ah, okay. You know, you know what I mean? Like they have, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. They have so they so they when if you watch a hammerhead swim, I mean all sharks kind of undulate from side to side anyway, but the hammerhead has a really exaggerated side to side motion when it swims, especially if it's near its home range and it's just kind of it's not obviously going somewhere. So they think that it uses the hammer to basically detect differences in the electromagnetic field, um, and then it would follow the magma paths out into the deeper ocean mm-hmm. until they found um, squid hunting grounds because the hammerheads largely eat a lot of squid or fish. Um, anyway, yeah, piece by piece, this guy put together that the, the hammer was used as a, as a navigational tool um, 
And again, by spacing them out further, they were able to get a greater resolution on what direction they should be going in. Uh, that makes a lot more sense. So there is actually an explanation for it. People still look at them like these weird... Well, I mean, they just look alien. They, especially when you when you have a general idea of what a shark looks like, and then you th- throw a fucking hammerhead in there. Well, and also... It, it's off-putting. What must their eyesight look like, right? Like, it must right. be... Yeah, how you does must, that work? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm not really nobody. I don't think nobody. I don't think anybody really knows because you can't trap these things and study them in captivity. It's a, right. it's almost impossible to study captive sharks. They don't survive in captivity. Really, most of them don't. <laughs> no, there. I mean, there are some, I believe, in in parts of the world. Um, but I've seen a few in the Shedd Aquarium here in Chicago. Okay. Um, I, <laughs> but, but, yeah, but like I'm nurse, fucking with you. No, but like nurse sharks in like certain species of sharks, you can yeah. you can throw in there. Um, but like bigger predators, I know great whites don't take well to captivity. Um, no. And perhaps hammerheads would because they're not quite as aggressive, but, um, again, they need, I don't, I don't know. There's no stimulation for them in those environments. There's no, yeah. it's, a, it's a tough thing, but, uh, but yeah, no, I've always found hammerheads to be fascinating. And again, like if you do put them in captivity, they're not going to let you study their brain to figure out what's happening with each eye. Um, <laughs> You don't think so? What if you asked? <laughs> oh, I'd li- I'd like to do all kinds of crazy mad scientist experiments, but you know <laughs> they're just evil. That's all. Um, but but yeah, no, and it's uh, so I think I think the picture the hammerhead gets from that sense must paint like a very different picture than what we see the world as. You know, so I I would assume it'd be completely different. I mean, just the the fact that the eyes are the eyes can't even you know you can't go cross-eyed with a fucking hammerhead. That's for sure. Yeah, no, I don't. I, again, I, I have no real concept of what how. Yeah, there's no, there's no way you can even fathom what they're what they're looking at. So, so how much? Here's a here's a random question because I I have to ask because I have a scientist on. I listen to the Joe Rogan podcast. Mm-hmm. How much does it frustrate you that flat Earth is a thing again? <laughs> <laughs> or is it? Or do you think these people are just trolling and it's no one really believes this? Uh, yeah, well, there's there's been a couple people in the in the podcast group that have kind of tried to tempt me into commenting on the flat Earth stuff, <laughs> and and I am tempted, but it's it's not worth even commenting on. Yeah, yeah that's that's my perspective on it. Like, have you you've seen the cartoon mockups of what the universe would look like? It's like yeah. every planet's round and spherical, and there's this little disc just floating there. Right, <laughs> like, right. Why would why would that be? I don't. Yeah. So, I don't, you, but you've been up to the Arctic, right? I have I have seen the curvature of the Earth, and I've looked. I've well, looked. What, what I was going to ask you is, have you seen the ice wall that the flat Earth is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they're going to the Antarctic to find the ice wall up right. there or down there. Right? That's. Uh, I don't. I, I don't even know how to. It's how not to, even. It's really not even worth. Like when Rogan brings it up on his podcast, I just roll my eyes and I just think to myself. Come on, bro. You're you, you're smarter than this. Don't give this any time. I mean, I don't think Rogan. I think Rogan's just putting it out there because he gets him listens, right? I don't think he, uh, he actually well, believes he, it. No, he doesn't believe it. He just he does it first off to fuck around with people. Also, his boy Eddie Bravo actually kind of believes it, but he because he's a just a conspiracy theorist in general. So, and I he'll, a, he'll entertain it a little bit just to show how dumb Eddie Bravo is. But yeah, it's. Uh, it's I mean, I, I have some interest in listening to some of those crackpots that are talking about all the conspiracy theories and things. Like, I, I just don't, I don't believe that the world is out to get us in that way. <laughs> you know, like it's I, just too many. Pe- if if 
for any of the, a lot of those conspiracy theories, and there are some that I think you know have a volition or va- are valid. You know, um, Rogan always mentions Gulf of Tonkin and uh, other things as well. But um, there's just too many. For for instance, the the flat Earth thing. If if that was a a conspiracy, there's too many people in the that in the know of this that are hiding it. There's just there's the chain of command is so far along now that too many people are in on it and that's for a lot of it conspiracies in my opinion there's just too many people that would have to be in on it yeah for it to to be there'd be more people getting killed randomly and stuff right you know what i mean like if they were actually trying to cover this up but i mean for me the flat earth thing is the funniest part is like and i know they contend that we never went to space so that's part of the argument Uh, yes also like we never would have been able to blast into space without understanding that the earth is spherical and that there's a force of gravity that acts on a spherical planet and a spherical moon and you know what i mean like it's the the basic fundamentals of a lot of the calculations of cosmic things that we know of are based (laughs) on that Uh, you know so and there's a lot of everyday inventions that are because of nasa research that, satellites you know right it's again well, they, even like the phone like anything like any a lot of the stuff we use every day is because of nasa research or military research and to benefit off of that but then deny that these other things happened just is is a hypocritical stance you know to benefit off of the the technology that you're able to use every day and believe that this technology works but then believe oh because i didn't see this happen it couldn't have worked is a is a flawed stance to have yeah i know absolutely i i who was the it was the one guy that was building his own rockets do you see that guy and he was launching himself into like the oh no i don't know how far up he was getting he was getting like he's getting pretty high though he's getting like 15 20 kilometers up like what, what is he trying to prove he was trying to see that the earth was flat <laughs> oh my god <laughs> like, like he actually wanted to get to the point where he was in the uh like the troposphere and they could see oh my and like god. could see space and then could confirm that the earth was just flat um which ba- <laughs> which which baffles me that some asshole was willing to strap himself to something that he built in his backyard <laughs> oh my god yeah we'll we'll, we'll move on from that cuz i really i mean it's it's fun to, pl- to troll that it's but it's not well, the, it's not something that really needs to be discussed. Well, the the other interesting thing somebody brought up just to anger me the other day was the hollow earth theory, I guess. Oh, wait, what's... <sighs> Which is, ba- well, it's basically the Explain Aquaman. Explain that to me again. No, it's basically the Aquaman theory. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, once, you, once you get to a certain point through the earth, like you'll have to go through the mantle and then mm-hmm. whatever else, but at some point you'll get to a, a place where it's just a hollow, another earth. Like there's there's... It's warmed by the core of the Earth, so there's like a you know a warm ocean and all these other things in there. And yeah, I this even, I don't even know how. This how. is the 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 problem with social media is I feel like this stupidity has always kind of been around. Yeah, but now <laughs> now you can hear about it from. It's more prevalent to hear about the stupidity, whereas and you know, get people to join up and get people <laughs> like, to join up right. Like whereas no problem. <laughs> Fifteen twenty years ago, the asshole that believed that the Earth was hollow maybe spoke that to 20 of his friends in his in his town and then 10 of them probably went mm, you're an idiot and the other 10 maybe thought about it and then they forgot about it but now you can discuss this with millions of people across the internet and when you extrapolate dumb theories across the internet someone's going to fucking believe it exactly and that's I, I don't know I mean that's why it doesn't surprise me that so many people deny climate change that so many people believe the crap that Trump puts out there that so many people you know, are willing to just believe shit. So that it's ninety nine percent 
that that's the stat right now for climate change yeah uh amongst the i believe it's amongst the like scientists that study that type of thing mm-hmm. um in the, they're in some kind of field related to it it's 99 percent. so normally in science we set the threshold at 0.5 so five percent would mm-hmm. be our you know when you have a statistically significant result mm-hmm. you accept it it might be wrong five percent of the time by random chance Mm-hmm. Right, like that's just when you're doing math and you're working with a small sample size. That's kind of the the statistical thing that you accept. Mm-hmm. But obviously, with climate change, we're trying to look for a bigger and better number. Um, so ideally, we'll get it to like ninety nine point nine percent. But you know, ninety nine percent or or even ninety eight percent or anything above ninety five is within the acceptable scientific realm mm. of this is not by chance or by natural cycle. This is something that's being influenced by humans. Now it's being influenced by human, but I think a lot of people agree on that. Now the rate at which people are influencing climate change, isn't, is that up for debate? Like are some people saying it's way more than it should be? And are some are saying it's being influenced by humans, but it's nothing we should be concerned about. Okay. Yeah. No, that's a sensitive question but i Mm -hmm. but i think it's important and i think so different models calculated in different years will give you a slightly different estimate right Right. like this is how we've ended up with the in 50 years there's going to be catastrophic sea level rise in 100 years there's going to be catastrophic sea level rise in 20 years you know what i mean it keeps going back and forth and i think that's because people keep essentially recalculating these values based on new short-term projections in the model you know what I mean? Like you're adding mm-hmm. five years at a time, right? Right. Or or you're adding two years at a time. I'm not sure how they do it exactly. Uh, but I don't think they add it necessarily year to year because, again, that's not going to show you a long-term trend. Right. Um, but when you add, so you add another 10 years to the end of a long-term cycle, if there's a big change in that 10 years, it can shift that curve quite a lot. You know what I mean? Right. Like that 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 line that you're fitting that predicts what that data is and when we're projecting it back over thousands of years or hundreds of years, a fluctuation of 20 to 50 years is not actually that unexpected. You know, mm-hmm. like, like statistically that's within the realm of error. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. so I mean, whether there's catastrophic sea level rise in 2100, 2050, 2150 or 2200, Maybe not is maybe is not the point, is <laughs> what I'm getting at. You know what sure. I mean? Like it's the 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 problem that we got to earlier as well is again people are short sighted, right? People want people want results and things that they can see immediately, and that's what politicians focus on. Um, so the politicians that are anti climate change focus on those fluctuations and the uncertainty. Sure, the day to day. Oh, they said we were going to be underwater by now. Where is that? Like, you know, but now they say 50 years and then they say 100 years. But again, that's if you're looking at these actual models like that, that range of error is not that unusual. So I know people want more. Um, yeah, people want answers right now. And, and it seems like the answer is there needs to be we need to study this more. And I, I feel like it hasn't been studied in science years. It really hasn't even been studied all that long to make. No. definitive conclusions on on what's going to happen other than 
yes, humans are affecting this in a way that's unnatural to the way the earth is. No, you're exactly, you're exactly right. There hasn't been any serious study in this area. I don't think, uh, for more than say 60 years. Um, and I that's, mean, that's, that's a, a blip on the earth life cycle. That's nothing. That's not, that's, that's nothing in terms of the, the weather patterns on earth. Although like the first climate change paper was proposed or the first climate change, uh, like person that postulated that there was going to be an issue with CO2 was in the 1800s. Hmm. Um, because he observed that there was a er, like a heat trapping effect of CO two, <laughs> it was wow. a pretty, it was a pretty basic approach um, and a basic idea, and it was known that this would probably be an issue throughout the second industrial revolution. But you know, it wasn't the priority, and the priorities were the wars, the depression, you know, like feeding people and making sure we were defending our nations and things. So now we're at a point where this has become a bigger issue, but. You know, it's been put off for so long that it, I don't know. It's it, again. It's but but at the same time, like you said, it's the short time that we've been studying it. Mm-hmm. But people still want these long term results, and it's we're not we're not there yet. And what and when people do try to give long term results, they get chastised like when they're off by fifty years in a thousand year projection, <laughs> which is not, <laughs> you know what I mean. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's not that big of a, a that's not. That big of a difference at that point. Fifty years is nothing. Exactly. So, I mean, I think that's my my perspective on it. I think the the models they've built and the things they've been doing are incredible. Mm-hmm. They don't and they don't get enough credit because they spend so much fucking time arguing with people <laughs> about whether or not what they're doing is is real or not when they're 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 spending the time doing the statistics. You know what I mean? And and doing the math that again, it's not manipulating the data; it's revealing the proper trends in the data. Yes, so. this this era we live in, where people aren't believing scientists, is it's it's gotten it's crazy. Concerning, man. <laughs> it's gotten crazy, and people aren't aren't shy about voicing their scientific opinions on things when they and have they no know understanding nothing, of yeah, it. Zero understanding of what's going on. Whereas, like when people start voicing their opinions on economics and shit like that, they get shot on instantly. You know what right. I mean? But yet, some sci- some politician that has no fucking idea what he's talking about. <laughs> can get can, up there and can and, question science and everyone starts to then question what he questioned as if a, yeah exactly yeah put a, or put he a, or she put up a graph on some like visual aid that is like you know his little intern made for him and like and suddenly he's an expert on climate change you know what really kind of hurt that though is the fact that Al Gore was the guy in America that brought up gl- climate change fair enough because <laughs> it was you know it's he's a politician he brings it up everyone's thinking it's a political thing that he brought up and he might have used it for his own political gain so that kind of that kind of wasn't the best start i definitely think there was some you know political jockeying on his part there um but i also do think that was a really interesting presentation like he did a good job with mm-hmm. that and he had a lot of good science in it that was the kind of shitty part it, about it, it it was just because he was the messenger that yeah exactly but got, at the same we, time he got shit for it but it wouldn't have gotten. Um, but it wouldn't have got out there either. We wouldn't be talking about it, right? It would. Yeah, it wouldn't have gotten. It wouldn't have gotten disseminated to the same people if it wasn't him. So, mm-hmm. like, you put a scientist up there. We, we got scientists all the time across the world talking about climate change, and nobody cares. So, no one gives a two fucks. Yeah, it's a again, like I said, it's a very trying time right now with people being concerned with their day to day expenses <laughs> and, and whatever else, and then being like, "Well, climate change is going to increase that." 
if they're going to charge me for carbon taxes and yada, yada, yada. But like every day your expenses are going up anyway. Um, because of climate change, you just don't recognize it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, yeah, to disseminate that message and explain it to every individual person is a lot of work. It is. And nobody, and, and, and it's almost impossible you know what I mean? Yeah, like it's, they, it's an impossible task. Like there, there are prairie provinces in Canada that are locked into the middle of our continent that had huge flooding issues in the last couple of years because the Mackenzie River connects to the ocean. <laughs> and mm-hmm. you know, there's been floods in certain parts of the country where there never have been as extensive floods as there, as there have been, and et cetera, et cetera. And the people in those areas are the first ones to fight any initiative to try and do anything about climate change. Mm-hmm. Because they're in the oil uh, provinces and they're in the places where we we're getting the oil from, so they're they're torn between their economic needs and their, you know, yeah, that's their, that's their connection of that flooding, which is definitely connected to climate change. <laughs> um, yeah. But they don't want to, you know, pay for it. I, I don't know. It's a it's a very difficult. <sighs> yeah, very that's tough. an interesting dichotomy. <laughs> well, you know what we should worry about is that meteorite that's going to hit us that will uh, level this planet. <laughs> that's what we should be worried about. <laughs> well, and then, and again, that's a very real, you know, possibility. I, there's didn't you see, did you see that the uh Rogan mentioned this that they found a meteorite impact or an asteroid whatever, mas- asteroid or meteorite impact somewhere that was the cause of the last ice age or something like that? Did you see that? Yeah, I did see something about that. I yeah. didn't, I don't know no details. I didn't yeah, I, I'm not uh, I'm not all that familiar with it either, but that's a that's a real thing that could happen. Definitely. Well, we also we did also have a another recent like meteor pass that was surprisingly close to the planet. <laughs> you know what oh I mean? God, like, you know, that's with, fucking terrifying. But within like again within a, a certain distance, close, you yeah, calculate cl- it. Close in in relative terms of space isn't all that close for but it was, us. But yeah. again, I think I believe it was one of those ones that like snuck up. <laughs> you know, like, right. they, they didn't predict was coming because it was shot off of some random asteroid belt somewhere, or what have you. But like, you know, that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's a plan to deal with that, but I, I do. Are we going to send up uh, Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck to go <laughs> deal with that? Like, <laughs> I know I know they have plans. They have plans to mine asteroids, right? So they must have a plan to land on an asteroid. So there must be maybe a. a uh, well, all you would, I, from what I've, I, this is me doing my bro science, but I remember looking into it, and I mean, you would need to obviously identify it right away and then need to attach something to that asteroid to just push it slightly off course so that by the time it gets to earth, it, it's out of the path. Yeah. That's either you yeah, blow something up on it that right. disrupts its course or you just weight it down. And if it's far enough away, yeah, exactly. You could just, it'll, it'll, any you sm- can calculate that. Yeah. Any small tail or something on it would just, yeah, veer it off by a small mm-hmm. degree and you're done. Right. Right? Like it's uh that's what always amazes me about those old school like uh, space travel events. Like when you watch Apollo thirteen and all that kind of crap, mm-hmm. when they're calculating their like projections around the sun, around the moon, and how it's going to slingshot them back to Earth, and yada yada yada, like calculations that are off by fractions of a percent. They were doing with slide rulers <laughs> <laughs> in a little like tin foil thing <laughs> while they're while they're man. freezing to death. Um, they didn't know. go up there though, so it wasn't real. So that's why. Well, exactly. I mean, that's the, <laughs> <laughs> it, that's that's why it's it, it seems impossible because it was it never happened. But that was but that space travel and, and being an astronaut was one thing that I always 
wished I could do, but I never would have the opportunity. Well, to. they're not really they're not sending too many people up in space anymore, are they? Well, no. And in Canada, we we have a pretty good space program actually, but yeah. um, you know, it, there's like eight or ten. I think proper astronauts, you know what I mean? Like people that yeah, are, that's such a small, 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 small industry to get into. Well, and I'm, yeah, by the time I thought about it, I was past my prime. And, uh, I also figured out that I had a slight heart issue and a slight brain issue with pressure. So oh, like, yeah, you'd so be out. Those two things would kill me instantly if I tried to blast <laughs> myself into the atmosphere. <laughs> but, uh, but like Chris Hadfield, I don't know if you know who he is, but, um, he's one of the, he's like, Spent some of the most time in space out of any any astronaut. Okay. Um. He, he was on the ISS forever. He's the he was the Canadian that was playing the guitar for a lot of the time. If you ever saw those uh those oh, broadcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um. But he uh he's just he's the epitome of like a cool scientist. You know what I mean? Like he he doesn't shy away from the fact that he's a geek and he loves math and he loves science. But he. He's like, but it sent me to space. <laughs> and he's like, right. and I'm up here playing a guitar. Like I got to do the space. coolest shit ever. And here, and he, and he tweeted all the time while he was on the ISS, and just you know, he he. I think he engaged. He personally engaged so many thousands of kids in wanting to be scientists, whether or not they were astronauts. Like I think he literally changed. I think the a little bit of the academic landscape just with the stuff that he was able to draw interest to. You know? Yeah, I mean, sci- science needs to be cooler. Like it needs to be, and it is cool, but it needs to be publicized as being cool. I think it's it's honestly, and I I say this with no irony. I think the the superhero genre helps that because yeah, that's true. When you think about it, again, literally all the major characters are brilliant scientists. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's absolutely true. I mean, you got Hulk, Tony you got Stark, Tony Stark. You got T'Challa's brilliant. His sister's brilliant. Peter Parker um, is a brilliant Peter scientist. Par- Peter Parker, yeah, exactly. Everyone, it's Reed, not cool Reed to be Richards. just. Yeah, right. It's not cool to be a dumb guy. No, the 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 leaders are, and again, now they've they've made like again Sue Storm's a genius. Like again, most of these characters are are scientists in some way or another. And that's a good way. I didn't even think about that. That most of the cool, especially in Marvel, most of the cool characters are scientists. Yeah, and again, I think we we talked about this in the episode one fifty five in the Jock and Nerd where. I think Stan Lee had a, again, a huge, just like, I opened a cold one, by the way. Yeah, what are you popping <laughs> open? What, what, what kind of beer are you drinking over there? Cronenberg uh, Blanc. What the fuck is that? So it's a, it's a wheat beer. Oh, nice. It's it's springtime. I'm uh, I'm getting in the mood. So I'm I'm pounding down a water as we speak. So yeah, well, it shows the levels we're at. Yeah, you're you're better better human than me. <laughs> uh, weekday drinking is is rough for me. I can't if I drink on the weekday. I'm one of those drinkers where if I have one, I'm having like seven, and then I'm gonna wake up hungover. I am usually too, so I'm gonna try and. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna party in my my apartment <laughs> by myself later, so hopefully it'll all be good. <laughs> um, but yeah, but yeah, you know, you're right. I think again, the I think the perception of science has always been that geeky kind of aspect of it, but I think that's changed quite a bit. Yeah, that's a good point. I think you 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 might be right about that. It's changing. And again, even even myself, like I. I did well in science and I did well in math, but I was also a jockey kid and I never really associated with like the nerdy kids in school, even though I would have paintings for art class that were Spider-Man and Wolverine. Like I never got mocked for it. You know what I mean? It was never, mm-hmm. in fact, it was quite the opposite because <laughs> it was like, Oh, that's an awesome painting. Like, fuck. Um, so I don't know. I think that maybe there's been a transition at some point. You know I think I mean? it but, is, at least for me and my perception of the world is it's cool to have multiple interests in multiple things. You know, I, I feel like 
the the label of being a nerd or a geek or a jock or whatever you are i I don't know i'm not in high school anymore so i don't know if that's Mm. still a thing but me personally i don't i don't feel like those labels all them all exist for me or do i even care i like what i like and i think a lot i think that's getting to it's getting to the point with a lot of people where they like what they like I think that was like definitely even even when I was in high school, I think that's the way it was. Well, there was still good. there was there was still definitely the uh like the band geek kids and stuff like right. that. But like but they were they had their own crew of people and they partied and did their own thing. So like it was never a I don't know, it was never that weird hierarchy of, of crap that you see in movies. So for, how does a how does a how are you on time by the way? I'm good for now, man. Yeah. You're good for now? Okay. Mm-hmm. We can keep going. We're almost at almost at two hours, but yeah. we'll keep it going because this is good. Um how does a smart motherfucker like you come across the stupidity that is the Jog and Nerd podcast? <laughs> and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sure I've asked you this before, but quite quite frankly, I've forgotten and I want to know again. No, no, that's cool. Um, so there was a point during my PhD where literally I had done all of my lab work. I had done a lot of stuff and I just had to sit at a computer and stare at these graphs and you basically just have to highlight the area under a curve. So if there's a little peak, you know what I mean? Like a triangle shape in the graph, you highlight the area under it and then it creates a concentration for you. Um, I had to do that for like nine months. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So on top of the months that I'd already put into it. So I literally, I just needed something to listen to all the time. that was good. And so I listened to a lot of music and I'm a, I've always been a big music fan um, mm-hmm. of all kinds, but that's when I discovered podcasts. Really, there was a there's a radio show I listened to around Toronto called the Dean Blundell Show, and they were and they used to put a podcast out of their show after the show on iTunes, and so that led me to the iTunes app, and then I realized that there was like thousands of podcasts on there, and I had no oh, idea. Yeah, so many. Um, so I started just downloading stuff that was geek related because i was like oh shit wow there's people talking about all this random crap Mm -hmm. um but there is so much garbage out there man and like you know just yeah a lot of it i mean i don't i don't mean to to sound like the i'm on top of the hill because i'm i'm not but there's a lot of just garbage podcasts which is not only bad content but poor sound quality yep poor show structure all sorts of garbage and again i'm willing to lean on the poor sound quality if it's a really interesting podcast or I'm willing, you know what I mean? I'm willing to right. give up X and Y if one of the other things is exceptionally good. <laughs> um, right. Totally. So, I mean, the main one that I found, and I'm sure you guys listen to it, is the weekly planet. Mm-hmm. I've, yeah. Uh, those guys were awesome. And I still listen to that every week. I think they're funny. They, they have a good back and forth. Yeah, they got um, definitely got good rapport and they, they have a, they're both Aussie, which helps too. Cause it's just something, something different sounding if you're from North America. Yeah. And yeah. and they and they're 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 legitimately funny guys. They have good good banter. Yeah, no. Again, I think they are legitimately like they're just like, they'd be funny to hang out with. You know what I mean? Like right. it doesn't feel put on. Um, and I also was listening to I won't say some of the other names because I don't want to badmouth anybody, but <laughs> there was a few other podcasts that I listened to for a while that I thought were interesting, but I don't know, self serving or just. Yeah, not interesting, or the sound quality was not up to par. So when I found your guys, it was an interesting mix because, again, first of all, 
you and Anthony or you and uh, Imran are very different. Yes. Um, and then you throw a rug boy. You think in so? And, you think we're different? Yeah, we're different. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that comes across like immediately. Like, and, and then, but then rug boy is also kind of the the man in the middle who gets to kind of play off both. <laughs> um, yeah. And you don't agree with each other on everything, which was was a big deciding factor for me. Because I like to hear the dissenting points of view, not just people like jerking each other off for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, again, I, and one of the main things for me, uh, so I told this to Imran early on, is it's like it's kind of like listening to young me at the time argue with old me. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. about certain things, and because I was very much more so in your kind of realm of, uh, I don't know, the attitude, I guess. <laughs> then I've chilled out a little bit in my old age, but it was a funny, <laughs> but it was a funny. Yeah, a funny progression with your show, and and then even like the sound clips, the sound quality is good. Yes. Um, the intro is awesome, and then there's the <laughs> after these messages will be right <laughs> back, and those little fills <laughs> that actually were, you know, part of the cartoons that I watched as a child. Oh no, kidding! So That's that, crazy. So that shit hooked me like right away. I was like, okay, I'm in. So yeah, so right from I think. I forget when I when I picked it up, but it was like show like eighteen or seventeen. Oh wow, or you're like that. you're deep. And then around that time, I started also kind of hitting up some of the people from the various podcasts on Twitter um, and commenting on some of the stuff they were posting, just trying to see if I could get on their podcast as a yeah. science expert. Um, were and, we the only ones that responded? Well, the, well, Imran actually before I think I even had a chance to hit you guys up, I tweeted something about something that he had said but i hadn't hit him up yet and he actually asked me if i wanted to be on oh, we no had, kidding. but yeah we had we had interacted a few times back and forth and then at some point he was like i've always wanted to do a science of superhero sh- uh, show do you want to come on and i was like i've been jonesing to do a science of superhero <laughs> show i've been waiting all my life for this. are you telling you talking about of course um, so yeah i think i think you said it in a good way on one of the first episodes i was on where you were like it's like you two guys were at a dance on the opposite sides of the wall <laughs> like, looking at each other being like hey you want to dance or, uh? <laughs> and it was, it was kind of very much I think like that and uh, yeah so after I came on your show the first time I, I don't know you guys have, yeah, again you guys have a fun rapport it's it's interactive and it's you know not not scripted and yeah it's interesting well, I, to listen I, to I appreciate that and th- now you're on this show which has none of those qualities so that's good I'm glad you can make it to this show. <laughs> well, I'm I'm curious to see if anybody will listen to me. Uh, oh, they talk, will talk this nonsense for this long, but uh, they, they would definitely will listen to you. That there's, I've gotten some pretty good feedback on the show. I mean, the whole concept of this one was the, and I think I've explained this maybe a, a few times, but I'll explain it again because I like to talk. <laughs> um, the whole concept of this is to get interesting people on that I just want to talk to and learn from and have a conversation with. Yeah, for sure. It's not supposed to be interview format. You know, you've been asking me questions. That's fine. That, that I'm fine to interject my opinion or what I think on things as well. Um, but instead of being kind of limited to the comic book genre and having to, okay, you know, let's talk about this for two minutes. Okay, let's talk about this for two minutes. This is more of just a relaxed format where I can just hang out and talk to somebody and, and just learn, which is hopefully the audience is getting that um, vibe too and they're liking it because every time it's going to be someone different and this is by far this is the seventh episode this is by far the most different out of all seven <laughs> in terms of the content we're you know, i don't think anyone um prior to this has ever really talked about uh polar bears and the inuit and uh, contaminants out there so awesome well, I'm glad I, I, I like it yeah i'm glad i can provide something different man it's uh <laughs> 
and I, like I said, I, I've been to parts of the world that most people don't get to see. It's, uh, it's important to me in a number of ways to try and bring attention to that, but also to, yeah, the work that we do and why it's important. And what, how, and how cold is it up in the Arctic when you were up there? <laughs> uh, so I, I'm going to have to pull out my Google machine because you're going to probably say it in Celsius, which means I'll have to. Yeah, yeah, to Fahrenheit. I, I, I can't. Us my, Americans, Fahrenheit is really the only way to so, fucking go. Yeah, God, <laughs> you're, the, you're the only you're the fucking only ones. ones. <laughs> <laughs> just Remember like the, the only ones, just like the inches and shit. It doesn't make yeah. any sense. But uh, all your all your scientists do things in meters and whatnot. By the way, but, uh, oh, is that right? Okay, well, they're not. Then they're not fucking real Americans. Get them out of here. So yeah, so normally I would go to Resolute in like June. Um, so it would be anywhere at the coldest points in like the early morning to like minus twenty. Um, to, Celsius. Yeah. To like even plus ten at some points, like during the day, if the sun's right above you and it's like shining down, and those are the best days ever because it's clear. You're on the ice. You have some nets in your hand. You're you're doing some like physical work, and it's just gorgeous outside. Well, yeah, ten Celsius. That's not bad. But then, fifty degrees Fahrenheit. But then, the thing in the Arctic is like the temperature shifts and the conditions change like instantly. So mm-hmm. you can be in the middle of a sunny day, like doing some plankton sampling in a hole, and it's ten degrees Celsius, and then suddenly the wind kicks up and it flips to minus ten, and there's a storm coming in and it starts freezing rain on you, and then you're fucked because you have to get between there and the town, which is a hundred kilometers away. <laughs> you know, so over. I remember. Over rough oh. ice and like and and whatnot. So, but the worst the worst condition that I ever was in cold wise was in Joe Haven, and I went on a three day seal hunt. Okay, um, so I was with a family that was out for a traditional seal hunt. So there was no guns involved; it was only harpooning, um, which is a very like patient game to play. Um, but we, yeah, we were out on the land and then me and this little guy so i was with one of the little brothers in this family and we got lost so we we got separated from the rest of the family and again we were we were like eh, like 250 kilometers away from any town um and we lost everybody else and he was like don't worry just just go this way i'm sure we're we're on the right track oh my god and of course he, he knows where he's going he's not an idiot so we went and eventually we found the family oh so you were you scared at all i i was yeah. Um, but he kept patting me on the shoulder and being like, don't worry, they're over here. Trust me. It's okay. And he was, he was like 14. So like, <laughs> I, I had, to, I had to believe the kid. He was, he knew what he was doing. If he's uh, calm, then it's, it's gotta be all right. He's only 14 and he's super calm about exactly, this. Exactly. Exactly. And anyway, we get to the family and then they were like, okay, we need to set up the tents now. And, uh, they just break out these tents and set up these tents in the middle of the like ocean, essentially. And the weather kicked up. And then the next morning it was, uh, I forget what the, like the Celsius temperature was like minus 38 um the oh wind God. chill the wind chill was like I don't, I don't even know it was like minus 50 or something like that uh, oh my god so like any exposed skin or any wet negative skin, 36 to, to the americans apparently. um anything anything that was exposed like will freeze and like you're you're done and like my boots actually were only insulated down to like minus 40 one of them cracked um, so oh, water wow. started leaking into my boot, and like luckily they had more gear for me. I felt oh like my a, god! And I, I felt like an idiot because like, you know, I didn't bring the gear that actually wouldn't freeze. <laughs> the oh, yeah. Arctic. Holy fuck! Um, that trip actually too. I also actually that was the only time I fell through the ice, um, and there's a decent chance I could have actually died. Um, but the same kid 
So when you're walking along the ice flow, mm-hmm. um, and especially if there's snow, usually you have a pole. Uh, so they use their harpoons often. Um, mm-hmm. so, so they just prod at the snow in front of them, right? Like they poke down until they hit solid ice and then they walk. Um, so I was following this kid, uh, Ambrose, and he was following his father who was like 20 meters ahead of him. We were walking, 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 and suddenly what he was walking on wasn't there, and I fell like straight down. Oh my God. And into what? Into the water. <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, so I felt my lower half like submerged. Um, I stuck my arms out as they train you to do, like a, in a panic method, and you have these little picks around your neck. So mm-hmm. these, like, they're basically like two inch long sticks that are like, you know, uh, Again, picks that you can like use to pull yourself out of the ice, but it doesn't work if there's snow in front of you because <laughs> the snow just flattens, right? So I was trying to pull myself out in the snow, but the snow kept just pushing into the hole. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was yelling, but the wind was blowing against me. <laughs> oh my god! Um, so the kid that was in front of me didn't notice uh, until oh un- until he was like I don't know, ten meters, twenty meters down the road, so like you know, thirty feet away, forty feet away. And in this time, my legs are in the water, and I'm starting to fucking panic now because he doesn't see me, and his father doesn't see me, and they're walking in the opposite direction. Um, anyway, eventually he heard me, and as he heard me, I kind of managed to get purchase in the snow, and I pulled myself kind of out. Oh, um, And then him and his dad came and grabbed me. <laughs> I, don't, I was in shock because I don't really remember much, but they, they got the tent up, um, and then they got the uh, Coleman stove, like a little propane-burning stove on. And had me sitting by it. They had me strip out of my clothes, like, instantly, obviously. And they were drying those. But, uh, yeah, before I knew what wow. happened, they had already had me by a little stove. And I was warm. And I was okay. Um, and they're, they were, they're prepared for that. It's crazy. It was literally fucking five minutes, I would say, max, um, between when they realized they pulled me out of the water, dropped me on the snow, had this, like, makeshift tent up, put the stove mm-hmm. inside of it, had me warming by it. And everything was okay. <laughs> In that moment when this happens, are you? I kiss my ass goodbye. Yeah, I was going. I was. That's got to be a moment where you're going. I, I might go. This well, might be it. Well, especially when I went through, and then I started trying to grab the snow and pull, and the snow came into the hole. Oh God! Because <laughs> I was that, like, that's the moment where I break down right there. I'm, I'm um, going. This is. This is. Yeah, this but might you, be good. I, th- I think you'd be surprised. Your 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 self preservation instinct kind of also kicks in too. Right? Yeah. So you're like, I was in panic, but I was also like, okay, like still fighting to get. I knew get this to might live. happen at some point. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's not fucking freak out. Like whatever. Right. Uh, and and we looked at the hole afterwards, <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say, I don't think it was my Arctic survival techniques that saved me. I think it was the fact that the fucking hole was too small for me to go all the way through. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Where you wear? Do you wear? Uh, you wear a you flotation wearing, suit. <laughs> I was. Well, I'm going to make a a fashion question. Were you wearing your Canada Goose jacket? Are you aware about those things? <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you want to not get ripped off in the north, don't ever wear a Canada Goose jacket. They will. Really? They, oh, they will take you for every dollar you have if they see you wearing one of those things. Um, I mean, down here they're they're a fashion statement and. They, um, oh, they're also very fashionable up here, and and Trudeau and uh, like all of our government officials wear them when they're in the north. Uh, they are quite warm. Let me, I'll give them that. They are. They are um, quite warm. Um, also down here, that there's been a string of if you see people, people are wearing people wearing them and getting robbed for their Canada Goose jackets <laughs> <laughs> in Chicago. Oh yeah. 
I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I they're expensive fucking jackets. They're it, like I think they're like seven or eight hundred bucks minimum. Yes. Um, I, I think they're nice jackets. Um, I would personally are there better functional jackets that are less well less I pricey. I don't I don't know that are that are available to people, but I I if I continue to work in the Arctic, which I hope to do, I want mm. to get a handmade parka for me from a person okay. in the community that I know and love. Um, and they will use like eider duck feathers and and seal fur and whatnot to stuff it. Like it's, mm-hmm. I've 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 been given some of the parkas they wear, mm-hmm. <laughs> they, and they're quite warm. They come down to like your mid thigh mm-hmm. or, or your mid uh, calf even, mm-hmm. and like it it's not. We don't we don't know how to make stuff <laughs> like, those, like, those, like those things are it's it's amazing the the quality of the 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 items they make up there like i i, I have a an order in for seal skin mittens mm-hmm. um which might get me like egged down here because of animal rights activists but uh oh my god you know they they they, they take the seal um fur they turn it inside out and so that the outside is the leather and the inside is the the fur and then the the, the ring around the wrist is a uh, wolf fur and they're they're some of the best mittens and the best like I don't know the best feeling things you've ever had in your hands. Um, but yeah, anyway, but yeah, the, I I think the Inuit <laughs> again the 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 Canada goose jacket is a bit of a target, um, but it's also you know it's also it's, a pra- it's also a practical and functional item. It's functional. It is also a statement of I got some money. Exactly, and that's I think that's what the like when a when a handful of five government officials comes up there and they're all wearing jackets that cost you know seventy five hundred dollars between them. Mm-hmm. It's not really perceived that well for people that are struggling to <laughs> pay for you know that's a good point. Water. That's a good point when your politicians <laughs> are rocking expensive shit and well, was very I'm struggling to survive over here. I I probably wouldn't uh, take too kindly to that either. However, again, like. You know, some of the people on the higher ends of the Inuit boards and things like that are also quite well off. So you got to be—I don't know—it's it's hit and miss in terms of the where people are getting outraged. But, um, but yeah, in, in a lot of cases, I think the Inuit folks are very much justified in their outrage for a lot of the stuff they see. Yeah, I would say they they might be a little they might be a little uh, in, not entitled entitled to their outrage. How about that? Yeah, no, I think that's a good a good way to put it. To be honest, do you <laughs> uh, it, go, ahead. Yeah, go ahead? No, you. Oh, um, I was gonna say, uh, speaking of outrage, does it piss you off when you see the science in movies and you go, "That's not fucking right at all," or it, or do you just can you choose to ignore it? It depends on the on the context of the movie and the and the and the show. Like for example, like CSI, that that TV show bothers me to no end <laughs> because they they what's what's wrong with it. They pipette something out of like a body, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they'll take like the fluid out of a body and then inject it into the machine that I use <laughs> and, and it, and it spits out something and they're like, Oh, it's mercury. Clearly. All right. It's mercury from this parking lot in this place. It's like, no, Oh God. But you know, but in terms of, um, I don't know, in terms of the, the, the superhero science and stuff, I don't get too bent out of shape about it. No. There are, I mean, there are things like the the Dark Knight um, conundrum where Bruce Wayne fired the bullet into the wall and then pieced together a fingerprint 
Off a fragment. From <laughs> a fragment, bullet yeah. A bullet that fragmented in a completely different way than the one that fragmented the first time. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff is like, uh, you didn't need to extend it that far. You could have found a much more creative way for him to figure <laughs> that out. That, <laughs> was, that was so absurd. There was the one scene where they were basically going, okay, let's show how Bruce Wayne is a detective. And they decided take a fingerprint off a fragmented bullet that <laughs> he doesn't have. Could, he doesn't have yeah, he doesn't have it could never be recreated <laughs> i know the, the way that that bullet broke would never happen you could, in the you same way do that. yeah you couldn't do it you, you could get the same exact piece of cement and it wouldn't happen the same way i think he fired it three or four times right like yeah, that was right. the experiment yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. need, you need to fire it a billion he, he times he fired it like three yeah three or four times and took the average of how it would have happened i think or some shit if he i see if he had fired it once then run it through a computer simulation that ran like a billion yes. simulations, I would have been like, okay, done. Maybe right. that works. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But a computer doing the science isn't as cool as he, him doing the science. But yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's my, my greatest hope for this new Batman movie is that it'll be more detective-focused, right? Like it's, uh, I, I don't yeah. know, where do you, where, where'd you come in in the, uh, the whole the Batman world? Are you, uh, are you like a Batman should kick ass or your Batman should be a detective guy? So I'm a big, huge Batman guy. Um, my view on Batman is I like to see him adapt to what is right for the story. Um, but my favorite itinerations of Batman are the is Batman existing in a universe where superheroes exist and figuring out, okay, what is his role in this universe and how does he still make it? That's That, for me, is always the most interesting Batman. That and when he's challenged... Um, morally, those are the two things. So I, I don't really have a stand on if he should be a detective or he should just kick ass. I I just want to see his importance in the world and his values being challenged. Fair enough. No, that's I think that's one of the most interesting things about him too, like the the kingdom come kind of aspect, right? Where he is the guy that has the formulas that could put everybody down, right? If he if he needed to, you know what I mean? right? It's, uh, it's an interesting thing throwing in, a, you know, with a guy. You have a character like Superman who is an, a god and Wonder Woman's a god and Flash is the fastest person on the earth and Green Lantern can conjure anything. You know, what is the role of a Batman in that in that dynamic? And I think that that's interesting for me is figuring out his place. Well, I mean, to me, he always functions as a great point of view character, obviously, which they've right. al- always used him as in like the Justice League and things. But uh, but yeah, no, for sure. It, it's It's that... <laughs> And he often says it in his head or, or outwards, being like, I am the only normal or like average person in this mix. What do right. I do? What do I bring? And obviously, he brings the fact that he is the tactician and things, which is why Justice League, the movie, was such a fucking oh, joke that, again, too. That movie's terrible. <laughs> but like, again, all Affleck did in that movie was invent cool stuff and then destroy it immediately <laughs> and then bring in the other cool thing that he invented or whatever. Right. It's like, what? His no, superpower was he's rich, as he says in the movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's not. That's it was a good joke, <laughs> but I didn't <laughs> actually expect that to be the fucking premise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was that, that whole that whole thing was rough. Well, did you did you see the like? Zach did you posted? Was that well, you? Yeah, yeah, I did post uh, that. But also, Snyder's been dropping like tons of information about what he wanted. What, for what it. he wanted. I read that whole thing. You know, I, I would have liked to seen it just because I wanted to see how his shitty vision would have played out. At least it would have been his vision. Yep. Um, I probably would not, would not have liked it because as you mentioned in the post on our jock and nerd nation page, 
Um, he doesn't seem to really understand the characters all that well or seem to want to care about the character. He kind of just wants to create some cool shit around this, around the characters. Yeah, using their iconic moments, but in right. like the wrong ways. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, Entirely like, the wrong ways. Like that Batman-Superman fight in Batman v Superman was like, you know, visually, in some cases, like scene for scene, but the whole essence of it was wrong. You know what I mean? It didn't, yeah. didn't land in the right way because you didn't have like 20 years of history between the characters to no this to was the first of. time you were seeing them on screen together and it was already you were already playing up a book the dark knight returns which was a deconstructionist book about these characters with like you mentioned where they've been around for years upon years upon years upon years and i already so, had their differences and already like working right. out at some point and right. yada 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 instead you have like yeah Batman showed up clearly if he was as smart as he's supposed to be, would have recognized very quickly that he was in the wrong. Right. And <laughs> not like, only was he in the wrong, but he was being used and set up. Yeah, by Lex Luthor, who's right. like, you know, a douchebag who clearly is trying to manipulate everybody. <laughs> like, right. everything about it. It's just, it's, it was bad. Uh, <laughs> and the, yeah, I don't know. It, uh, yeah. But such good actors and good people in the roles and everything else. And it just fucking pisses me off that they can, you had, you had, yeah, you had all the ingredients for a good movie. You just, you had the wrong guy directing it and the, probably the wrong writers. And you just had the wrong backing in terms of what DC was looking to do. And they really had no vision. And the, again, they, they clearly hired a guy that was the wrong choice. At least, at least for those characters. Now, if you, you wanted to put Zack Snyder in a movie where the characters aren't Batman and Superman and all these things, then maybe that would have worked out. But when you yeah, throw yeah. those characters in there, there's just too much baggage with those characters to kind of fuck with, with who they are like that. Yeah, yeah. They should have bought like another superhero property from whoever. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, bastardize that. But yeah, it's hard to do with Superman and Batman. And again, like... The, Ah, whatever. I, I can talk about this forever. But even, even Man of Steel, like again, I, I was listening I was, to it. I was not a Man of Steel guy either. See, I enjoyed that movie. I I, like, I think it was only because I liked Henry Cavill as Superman. He was the best part. I I, I don't hate that movie like I hate Batman v Superman, and, and I think Justice League's not that great. I, Man of Steel, I'm just not a fan, but I don't think it's a bad movie. No, but so, so the thing that really kills me <laughs> is, is the Jonathan Kent death scene where That's he's terrible. like the tornado. That's terrible. Yeah. And like where he goes back to get the dog. It's like you're the super son could go to the car and back and nobody would even notice. Right. Why? Why would that happen? And then and then when he just holds up his hand, he's like, no, don't no, save me. Don't save me. Again, yeah. Superman, don't show your powers. Again, Superman would just go and he'd be back before anybody even noticed. That's the whole fucking point. What is the. I don't know. Again, it's a yeah, it's a fundamental weird. They needed that plot point. Yeah, that that plot point really didn't stick with me of why he, they kept having to hide him. I understand they were trying to go for well, the, if the world finds out, you'll you know you might be treated or seen a certain way. People might judge you or think uh, that this alien invasion is happening. But I don't know. I feel like Superman's character, he's too his character is too good-hearted not to save somebody. Exactly. Especially his own fucking parents. <laughs> the, the, the way they did it in the original Chris Reeves Superman movie where he, you know, is in a different party, hears his father have a heart attack in the barn, and he just can't get there in time. Right. That. Like, even he has his limits. That is impactful. You know what right. I mean? And, like, that kid, I forget what his name is, that played Superman in that movie. Like, I still can listen to that scene, and he's like, I just wasn't fast enough. I couldn't do it. You know, and that, that 
has feeling to it. But like Superman watching his dad hold up his hand and be like, "Don't save me!" and get sucked <laughs> up by a tornado. Like, fuck, that doesn't. That, didn't nah, that, that was a rough. <laughs> that was a rough character choice not, right it's, there. It's not Twister. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, that was strange. Real strange. Anyway, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. What do you in the future? What do you think? Do you do you want them to reinvent the Superman character and like a in the new DC thing that they're trying to do, or do you I, want you know, them I, to keep Cavill and try and make him right? You know, I wouldn't mind them keeping Cavill. I feel like he's gotten a raw deal in this whole thing because I, I do actually think that he was a good choice. I think mm-hmm. he can play. I think he can play the Superman that me and you are kind of yearning for, which is the the upstanding, um, good-hearted character that is unwavering in his beliefs, but is also um, genuinely just a good person, similar to Captain America. Yep. Um, Captain, that would be the perfect. He's the perfect. Like, yeah, Chris Evans should just model. be Superman as well. Um, I would accept yeah, that. <laughs> I would, so I, I think a Henry could be that guy. Um, I'd like to see another movie with Henry Cavill. I feel like DC at this point though is trying to detach itself from anything that Snyder did or mm-hmm. any of those movies other than Wonder Woman that came out um, prior to uh, was it uh, Aquaman? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, I feel like they're just making movies now to make movies and they're not really worried about connecting them or anything. So I think they're, they've, I'm pretty sure it's already come out that they've kind of divorced themselves from Henry Cavill. That's kind of unfortunate. I wish, I wish he'd get another shot. The I Superman sw- he was in Justice League by the end of it, I think was a decent itineration. That little scene with the Flash when they were racing and like, again, his little interactions with people once he was Superman again. Right. Yeah. I think that was perfect. They, the, the best, that scene and, the that I remember saying this in our review, but when he comes to help um, the Justice League at the end, the first thing he says is, "How can I help?" Mm-hmm. You know, and that's Superman in a nutshell. Right there's he's just coming to help you out. Like he's not, there's no ulterior motive. He genuinely just wants to do the right thing in that moment. Yeah, he's not coming to take control or like be the like the master. He just wants to do what he can to do the best thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's for sure. Like my 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 other favorite, and I think my only favorite part of that movie is uh, <laughs> where he's in the midst of fighting the rest of the Justice League, and and the Flash tries to get behind him. Oh yeah, and he has that moment where like he's in the Speed Force, and like he sees that <laughs> Super- Superman can see him. That was, that, that was amazing too. I, I had to give him when he glances over at Flash in slow motion and Flash's reaction. They cut to him. He's like, "What the fuck?" And also the look in Henry Cavill's face at that point. You actually believe that maybe he'll he just like throttle that <laughs> oh, yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> um but yeah it was that was a great moment it was and just lost in a sea of bullshit <laughs> lo- lost in a frankenstein movie known as justice league i mean that was just but i really yeah i really hope for i don't know for good things going forward but yeah you, i mean you guys had interesting and differential perspectives on aquaman yeah yeah, I, I, I thought it was fun, but yeah, it was weird. <laughs> so, so weird. I, I certainly thought it was fun. And I also thought the script was a complete mess, but um, I guess that's better than it's 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 it provided me more of a, a better a better reaction than I had to Batman versus Superman, if that counts for anything. Oh, absolutely. I I think right after Aquaman. I was actually quite positive, and then afterwards, like with a little digestion and a second viewing, I was like, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 "Upon upon some analysis, that move, that script is is kind of strange. Definitely, there's a lot of weird choices in there, but it's it's an interesting, interesting looking movie with some 
um, uh, definitely embraces the comic book origins that it's come from. So I think that was that was a cool aspect of it. They didn't shy away from any of the, no, not the weirdness and the bullshit. Like again, he wrote, he literally rode a seahorse to the finale. You know what I mean? Like it was a uh, <laughs> yeah. You, you, you had seahorses and, and sharks and giant crabs and unicorn. Yeah, see that unicorn seahorses. The uh, the undersea creatures roaring fucking really bothered me though. That's physically because that's impossible. Impossible. Yeah, it really bothered me. <laughs> Like when the great white sharks were like, it's like, oh, come on, oh, no, no, no this, isn't, this isn't scientifically correct. But again, it when I stopped and thought about the rest of it, I was like, what am I really, yeah, arguing about? At that here? point, you're, you're watching an Aquaman movie. You can't. The science isn't going to add up at any point. And also, Momoa brought in the uh, the the lady vote for that movie quite heavily. Jesus, like my, <laughs> my like any my mother is 55 years old and. I couldn't shut her up about Momoa over Christmas and stuff. <laughs> I don't want to hear. I think that was it. This. I mean, that was definitely the intent to bring in Momoa so that the the female fans would be would be happy with how he looks with his shirt off. I mean, there's been no shortage of pretty boys. Yeah, the male fans. Yeah, there's been no shortage of pretty boys. He was, He's not necessarily. No, he's he's they, more he's more the. Uh, they the made bad, him like the bad scruff, boy. I guess. Bad boy, yeah. 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 He he seems like a dude I would love to party with, though, man. Jesus. I, He's a Momoa or Aquaman? Well, both. Both. (laughs) (laughs) Are they one in the same at this point? (laughs) Maybe, but uh, (laughs) they seem like pretty much is the same character. Yeah, right. He's just playing himself, which is a great place to be as an actor, I guess. But it is, it is. Well, I think we've uh, bored enough people to this point. So (laughs) yeah, fair enough, fair enough. (laughs) We we can keep talking about comics forever, but uh, yeah, Uh, we could definitely keep talking about (laughs) comics. But we. I'd be happy to have you on again, and especially you know if you you uh, have any more findings that are worth talking about, we can do that, or we can just nerd out about comics and movies and shit too. Either I'm, or, I'm happy to do. There's more the, to Adam Morris than just being a scientist. So, um, I, yeah, yeah, no, we haven't even delved into the raving years and the uh, the electronic music scene oh and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was at I was I was there at the cusp of the electronic music scene in Toronto in the early '90s. So. Oh man, you're that's that's OG status. It is it, when we switched over from acid like acid jazz and shit like that into like jungle and house. It was uh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that'll have to come at uh, another time when you rejoin the show because yeah, this, is, this isn't a one time thing. I've I've told all my guests this. This is a reoccurring thing that you can be on as many times as uh, as I'll allow. <laughs> And as the uh, as the society demands, I suppose, yeah. As society demands, <laughs> yes. Well, do you, is there anything you want to um, to plug before you, you jump out of here? Or no, again, I uh, for the nation members, I'm switching my Twitter account over from to at adrock underscore king um, for geek related science stuff. So there you go. Follow me there, um, and otherwise, yeah, I'll be on the Jock and Nerd Nation page anytime. A Jock and Nerd Nation page, hopefully. Whenever we have a science topic on the Jock and Nerd show, you'll probably join us for that. Or if there's anything you want to join for that, I'm sure we'll. Imran will be happy to have you on with us. I know I would be. And yeah, we'll catch you there on the nation or uh, add rock underscore king on Twitter. And um, any other scientific findings that ever get published by the Canadian government might have your work in it too, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Absolutely. For sure. All right. There you go. All right, guys.